Today's episode is brought to you by Reef Builders, winner of Best of Howls, five years running. Reef Builders is a Tempe, Arizona-based, full-service design-build construction company. What's a design-build company? It means you deal with one company for everything. Reef Builders is able to take your vision and bring it to life by drawing your plans, producing photorealistic, high-resolution 3D renderings of your kitchen, baths, and more, helping you design and pick your finishes, and finally, executing that vision. With their years of building experience and a superior client experience, using tools such as online project management software through their client portal that allows you to see your renovation in real time. Whether you're in town, on vacation, or living in another state, you have access to job progress photos, your build schedule, financials, and much more anywhere in the world. So if you're looking for a complete bath or kitchen renovation, a complete home renovation, a custom home designed and built, or a boutique commercial project built out, Reef Builders can deliver it. Reef Builders, your vision, their experience delivered. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Make the Difference. Today's guest is uh, Mike, we're just going to call him today. Uh, due to his line of work and what he is currently doing, uh, we cannot talk about uh, specifics of his personality and who he works for and what he does. So we're just going to say Mike works for a local um, police department and also works with a federal task force and the the intent or uh, of what he does is to catch bad guys who commit sex crimes against children did i get that right mike and adults and adults as well correct okay. yes so as usual chris stewart's here yeah what's up and uh i'll let mike kind of get into his story mike um, you you've listened to him so we'll go back to kind of you know, your younger years and all the shit that you kind of went through to get to where you're at. Because you do have an interesting story that, that they need to hear because you were basically pretty much not going to be a cop one day. And it was kind of your last last ditch effort. So yeah, so let's get into that. So. A little bit about me. I, I grew up uh, in the Phoenix area, um, middle class neighborhood, uh, never had any family members that were in law enforcement. So by no means was this a career path that I thought I would ever get into. And... Uh, Ironically, growing up in the Valley, uh, being young, chose, unfortunately, some wrong friends to hang out with at different times. And I'd actually been in trouble with the law when I was a juvenile, uh, was in the juvenile justice system for some low-level misdemeanor things, like maybe a shoplift or something like that. And uh, I was just making really poor decisions. And uh, ultimately, what kind of led me on this career path was uh, around the freshman year in high school was kind of the last time I ever got in trouble with the law and uh, was stealing something at a store, really stupid, just making a really horrible mistake. And I'll never forget, you know, I was actually technically arrested and a police officer responded to the location and I was in the loss prevention office. And it was kind of a a seminal event in my life. It was a come to Jesus mo moment because this officer actually showed up and sat there with me for an hour and asked me where I was going in life, asked me about my parental s situation, how my parents were before he actually called my parents, asked me about school, asked me about sports. And basically he told me, he's like, hey, listen, Mike, you sounds like you got a great family, uh, a great situation. I deal with a lot of people that come from 
far worse than you that are sitting in a position like you. And uh, he challenged me. He's like, the way the the career that you want to be someday, if you ever wanted to be a firefighter, a police officer, a doctor, those type of career paths, you will never become one with the decisions that you have made or you made today. And he's like, Mike, essentially, you ever mess up again, I don't see you going anywhere in life because these things are going to haunt you. You need to change your ways now. And that just stuck in my mind. Uh, my dad picked me up. My dad was infuriated. It was probably, uh, it changed my life because my dad was one of my best friends, probably my best friend growing up. We were very close. We did a lot of things together. And for a month or two, my dad never talked to me. And basically, I was dead to him. I had let the family down other times before, making poor decisions. And, uh, you know, I just remember that police officer, how he challenged me in life. It like lit a, lit a fire in me. And when he said, I don't think you could ever have this job being a police officer because right now you're, you're not very trustworthy being a firefighter. He brought up a doctor, he brought up an attorney, he brought up a lot of professions that we look at and, you know, they're, they're great career paths. And, and that just really focused me to change my life. And that's what ultimately got me down the, the path of desiring law enforcement down the road. So high school sports, what'd you play? Yeah. So high school was instrumental because at that time I was involved in sports, but I hadn't gone 100% into like really being disciplined, uh, figuring out. And that was the one thing the police officer told me. He's like, listen, there's a, a lot of good things about sports, being disciplined, teamwork, camaraderie, all that kind of stuff, facing adversity. And so get to high school and football. I was always kind of an aggressive kid. I was a just a kid that really liked challenges and stuff like that. So I dove in uh, head over heels for football and I just gave it my 100% and essentially played uh, football in high school and had the opportunity to go play in, in community college locally and then ended up in New Mexico uh, for a couple of years playing football. So, uh, you know, that was something that I really got into. Did that, did, did playing a team sport or being part of a team sport help shape like why you wanted to be a cop or like when did the whole cop thing like really come to to your mind like like after you graduated or was that something you're always shooting through since high school yeah you know uh my my father was in sales i had an opportunity to maybe work on the the family business and i had tried it and it was something that just didn't intrigue me i i wasn't into going into a cubicle every day for me and uh, I always just remembered, you know, the camaraderie of football. And I had done a couple ride-alongs with some of the local police departments in the Valley. And I'll never forget going into that briefing room and seeing all these guys and, and girls working together as a team. And that just is like, man, this is just like with my buddies playing football. When I go play basketball with my buddies, just that teamwork and being a team. And, you know, I kind of got hooked and I started moving down that career path probably you know, I, I'd say when I was a sophomore in high school, I started realizing I take it. I took one of those aptitude tests and it said something like you should be a park ranger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a smoking or, or a firefighter or a police officer. And I just always remember, well, this police officer is right. He's the one who pushed me in that direction. And one of the aptitude tests said I, my personality would be good for a police officer. So 
yeah, that's I started focusing on that and started honing my career path. I uh, got a bachelor's degree in uh, administration of justice and um, started working towards becoming a police officer. How'd that process go? Uh, it's a long process, I can tell you this. And uh, because of my checkered past as a juvenile, I had never gotten in trouble as an adult. Uh, never, you, you were never caught as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <yeah. laughs> total, total difference. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, that was, that was actually the biggest disappointing thing because literally I flipped the switch my freshman year in high school after I'd gotten in trouble. Um, and I had, you know, I had to go to like a quasi halfway house my freshman year every day after school for several months. So I saw a lot of kids that were, you know, I don't want to say d- true delinquents. These were, and I had to, I had to be with those individuals every day. And I just looked at myself and I was kind of depressed at myself and said, you know, this is what's going to happen. I had to do a lot of community service hours at the YMCA and <laughs> do a lot of different things, but I learned from my mistakes, but I was really disappointed by the time I started testing at, as a, at the police departments in the Valley. They looked at my past and said, Hey Mike, you know, you did, you crushed it on the physical fitness. Um, you crushed it on the oral board, but once we got to the background face, they would open up this big binder and they're like, listen, I don't know. We, we don't really trust you right now. Come back in five to 10 years and maybe we'll think about it. Whoa. And that just opened up my eyes. And I had tested with five or six agencies in the Valley and that just, uh, really, it, it, it disappointed me. It hurt me. Uh, but the one thing I do have, I have a chip on my shoulder and I, I'll never take no for an answer. And the agency that eventually hired me, um, <laughs> it's a really interesting story. I actually went in and I crushed the physical. I did really well, well in the written. And I walked into that background um, uh, interview and the supervisor for the background units, uh, he opens up my jacket and and he can see that I'd been in, you know, some definitely some contacts as a juvenile with law enforcement. And I thought he was going to tell me like every other agency, hey, you know, come back in five to 10 years. And I walked out of that uh, interview within 10 or 15 seconds of him opening up the folder and saying, hey, you've been in trouble for a lot of things. And I just kind of said, hey, it's going to be your loss and somebody else's gain. And I kind of just walked out of that office and I was very fortunate. This individual walked with me to my vehicle and grabbed me by the shoulder and said, hey, Mike, why don't you come back here? Um, I know that uh, you've worked uh, at a certain location for the last six or seven years. We reached out. We talked to your boss. Your boss thinks you're a fabulous human being now. Um, we're willing to maybe give you a shot, but you can't walk out of this interview with me. And they basically held my hand during the process. And um, the police chief at the time, I got to the chief's interview and he said, hey, listen, we don't give these opportunities out very often, uh, but we like what your boss had to say. He was very complimentary. He feels like you grew up as a man. We all make mistakes. We're willing to give you that chance. And he looked me straight in the face and said, you know, basically, don't let me down. And if you let me down, you know, I'm going to be super disappointed in you. And so I've always made it for the past 20 years as being a police officer, uh, the point of, of not letting the agency down. And I've had so many different opportunities as, as a career path. And, uh, uh, you know, so I always give 198% for the agency that I work for. You pulled the Shawshank Redemption fucking. Yeah. yeah. Go that's, ahead, Sonny, write down wherever you want that piece That's of pretty uncommon for yeah. a law yeah. enforcement agency to, to take that. Yeah, they'll, they'll give flyers out every once in a while. Um, 
it's a complicated process. And yep. and because of the stuff that I did as a juvenile, it wasn't a violent crime. Yeah, right, right. It was just stupid stuff. You're just a with, dickhead. Yeah, yeah, just being a big <laughs> well, head doing dumb things. So let me ask you this. So knowing what you know now on the other side, uh, how do you feel about uh, new entrants and the, the evaluation and their backgrounds and how big of a deal is it? Oh, it's it's the biggest deal. And obviously we're in a time and place right now, which we had planned this interview a long time ago mm-hmm. before uh, everything that's happened in our country. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I would argue it's it's one of the most difficult jobs out there um, by far because uh, physically and mentally, it's a career that'll eat you up and spit you out. Um, and it can do it within three to five years. Uh, just like, you know, people that, a lot of people that uh, are in public service and firefighters, paramedics, law enforcement, you see a lot of single, you do see a lot of things every day that just eat you up. But um, we have to do such a, almost impossible task of hiring a perfect human being because you can pass the push-up test you can pass the pull-up test you can pass an oral board um, you can be relatively smart but when you're asked to perform a use of force or a critical situation a lot of times you can get out of the police academy you can go through all the drill so to speak but when you're faced in a situation when that radio you know gives you dispatcher calls you and says hey mike uh, there's a stabbing over here um, in Tempe. Uh, your suspect looks like this. Um, the female is bleeding in a car somewhere in the parking lot. We don't know where she's at. We just hear screams. Um, that's all we can give you. Go do it. And you're sent to that location not knowing any other variables. And that's the one thing people have to consider. I know there's, and we're going to probably get into so many different things, is the vast, vast majority of times law enforcement responds to a location. It's the public asking for us. Oh, yeah. So um, we walk into situations blind. We don't know all the different scenarios. It's very easy for everybody else to look back at a situation and they know a lot of the different circumstances after they've happened. But you're walking in there blind knowing that there's a suspect that just maybe stabbed a female, uh, a white male in his 50s. You think his name is George and the female's 40 years old and that's all you got. And you start looking at possible people that fit those descriptions, what you have going, um, different units are showing up and it's just very chaotic. And then if you find that male and he has a knife and you're giving commands, um, use of force, it's so difficult to make the perfect decision. Um, so um, we don't know if that officer will make a perfect decision until he's put in that scenario. And that's why I say it's so difficult because you can hire somebody and he passes all the tests, but until you get in the quote-unquote game, you're never going to know. And unfortunately, during training scenarios for um, the whole police academy, and then when you go out with your FTO, you might never be in a life-or-death situation where you're placed to take somebody's life, and you don't know how you're going to respond. So Yeah, that's so, why. well, just because you've never been in trouble in your life doesn't mean you have integrity, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and, and t- integrity for the community, yeah. integrity for the people you work with. Yeah, and... That's a big deal. And, and, and obviously, you know, with... with the George Floyd scenario, 100%, all the cops that are good cops, and I would say there's a few bad apples, but we go out there every single day, and we put our life on the line for the public, and um, we're not perfect, though. We make mistakes, and I think that's what a lot of time the public, they don't take into all those different variables that got us into the situation. Um, The George Floyd scenario is absolutely horrific. Um, and I, I hope whatever happens, happens to 
uh, the officers that were involved because we don't condone that. The, the last thing a good cop wants to see is a bad cop because it, it makes our job inherently more difficult. You know, my career path now for everybody that does it, we're set back five or 10 years. And, oh, yeah. and so we just can't go on a call and contact anybody. It doesn't matter their race, their age, their ethnicity, their sex. But, you know, someone's going to stick a cell phone in our face. And when I say, um, Brandon, um, I pulled you over for speeding. I need your license, registration, insurance. A lot of times, you know, I don't adhere to your illegal authority, your this and that, and basically F you. And, you know, it just, it just makes it so difficult for us. And, um, you know, we have to be able to earn the public's trust. And we get so much respect when we do that. But one individual, there's 700 to 750 police off, 750,000 police officers in the United States. One person can ruin everything that we've worked for. And, you know, sometimes I get emotional about it because I'm like, you know, we didn't ask for that. We, we do our job to the best of our ability every single day. And one person, like a lot of other career paths, that would never happen if you had a a teacher or a firefighter or a doctor, if they mess up once, you really don't hear about it. But I think, you know, being the first line of government that everybody sees and we don't come out to give happy grams. Yeah. We come out to unfortunately enforce the law. And so when people see us, you know, the first thing they want to do is essentially take out all the rage. Um, we had a crazy scenario with the COVID lockdown for three months. And then you had um, Mr. Floyd's incident. And I think it just was a perfect culmination of just everything in our country just blew up at once and you saw what we had and I think we're stepping back a little bit now and hopefully we can be a little more rational on all sides and we can figure out how do we move forward as a country and how do we move forward as law enforcement because everybody's circling their wagons um, it doesn't help either side so we need to have better discussions so stealing something from a store doesn't equate to whether you're going to be a good or a bad (laughs) cop right no. And I think apps, actually um, athletics, I think athletics for me, I'm not going to speak for everybody else. Um, I think the fire department, that's one thing I know, uh, you know, a lot of people that work in the fire department are former athletes and stuff. And yeah. I, We're usually I, better athletes than the cops for sure. That's Which, for sure. And they <laughs> yeah. get way better the older they get. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, they get, yeah. they get paid to work out on duty. <laughs> they get paid to eat right. And <laughs> the, the hardest decision a firefighter has to make is, what are we grilling for 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 lunch and and dinner? Like that's the most difficult decision. It is a horrible, horribly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it a, it's a big burden we bear. Yeah, it my, is. mine's mine's when when I'm gonna get my nap in. So yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, yeah. that's my tough decision. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, well, let's go back a couple steps because you were kind of light on on, you know, walking out of that interview. We I have a pretty good memory. And we've kind of talked about this story story before. You were pretty fucking frustrated by the time you got to that last interview. Oh yeah, I remember you telling me a story about your roommate. Like this is fucking never gonna happen. Yeah. And talk about that. Yeah, when, told no a lot. Yeah, yeah, when you're when you know you want something so bad and you're told no. And in my mind, I knew that I was a good human being, that I was competent. I do think you know athletics taught me so much. You know half. Half the guys I lived with and played with were different ethnicities. They came from inner city to up to rich kids to middle class. It's feet, you know, you're going to war, so to speak, with individuals and you work as a team. So I really knew I wanted law enforcement and it was exciting. Uh, it was just all those things. And when you keep hearing no, 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 um, you know, it's difficult. But I do know that, and I tell my kids, I tell anybody I work with, you know, um, 
you, you know, you got to be disciplined and do the right things because you really never know when it's going to come back and bite you. And it's the little things that count. And, and when I was young, I made the mistakes. I did the, the stupid things, little things, big things that um, took me out of possibly some career paths. So I'm so fortunate to have the opportunity of, of where I'm at now, uh, being in law enforcement for over 20 years, uh, being the work on a, I've been working on a federal task force for, for around 10 years. I've got to travel the country f- f- in a federal capacity, kind of looking at law enforcement from a 50,000 foot view. And um, we're inherently all the same, whether we're federal or local law enforcement, we're all out there to do the same thing. And, uh, you know, the same kind of personality, a lot of, a lot of, you know, to do our jobs, just probably like firefighters is you got to be tough. You got to be thick skinned. Um, you know that you're going to unfortunately probably have to use force at some time. And you get a certain type of person, whether it's a guy or a girl, they're usually tough individuals. And um, depends. Depends. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But we have some softies. We, we do. But um, so, I'm you not going to say we're all fucking tough because we're not. And, and, and for us, you know, dealing with. Uh, you know, a lot of mental illness and stuff. That's the stuff that, you know, I think we could do a lot better at. We can recognize that and we get training on it, but we get training in firearms and defensive tactics and you have to be able to apply all that training. You have to use it on a daily basis um, in critical incidents to, to do all those things, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't want your job. It's fucking thankless oh, job. No, it's fucking, I want to be a firefighter, Yeah, dude. completely thankless. If I had to do it all over again, I'd be a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> I tell my tell my kids, I tell everybody, hey, go be a firefighter. And it's been one of my more, uh, the better things I've done in my career <laughs> with, with regards to hiring for the fire services that uh, I love hiring bosses, uh, the kids of police department bosses. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. And, and that is... It's so many people I've worked with, their sons and daughters want to get in law enforcement. They kind of, you know, they push them the other way just because of everything that's going on. But I'll tell you this. We do have a lot of a lot of the young officers I work with. I worked with their fathers when they were on the way out and they did go down the career path. And I can't I think you can do it uh, the right way. And for me, the right way is number one is you better have a lot of damn hobbies um, outside of law enforcement, not just shooting a gun. Like you better be in, for me, physical fitness. That's the most imperative thing that you, you have to be able to be physically fit because you're going to, your life's going to be on the line at some point. I don't know how many uses of forces I've had to deal with, whether it's a, you know, a, 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 a shooting or a physically fighting with somebody to get them on, in custody, but just things. And if, if your body's not in tune, I think that person who might be 50, 30 pounds overweight, not in shape, like they're going to use maximum force and they're going to be out of shape, winded, stuff like that, maybe tunnel vision. Whereas if you're more physically fit, I think you can handle a critical incident a little better. And then additionally, this is a long-term career path. We're all shooting for 20 years to get that pension. Now it's 25 years, but you don't take care of that body working shift work, just like firefighters know, like you're not getting sleep, you're not healthy you're going to just be eaten up. And I see so many career patrol officers. It's so difficult on their mind and the body. And 10 years in, you think they're a 30 year vet because it's just torn them up. Oh yeah, so. for sure. I want to get back to that, but to get hired, start the Academy. How's that go? So start the Academy. Uh, well, I went to the Phoenix regional Academy, <laughs> uh, very hot out, like August 1st, I think I started and, uh, you know, being a cop, you're going to have to do a lot of different things. And, you know, we don't have a live in Academy here in Phoenix. A lot of other agencies do, but, um, <laughs> never heard of that for cops. 
Yeah. Living Academy. Not yeah, uncommon. Not out of state. Yeah, yeah, yeah really not uncommon at all. Yeah, if, no uh, like a lot of the federal law enforcement, they go different ones. But uh, yeah, you're going to go for 16 weeks. Um, Did you like it? Enjoy it? Was it boring? Physically, physically, I thought it w- was pretty easy because coming from playing football in high school and college, uh, that wasn't a factor. I could go run all day. I think I came in probably weighing two. I was a big meathead weighing 220. I came out probably 200, and I never gained that weight back. I didn't feel like I needed it. And, uh, you know, we ran. We did all the physical fitness, but that wasn't the part. But academically, it you know, learning Arizona revised statute, that just crushes you. Oh, you guys have to learn that shit? Yeah, you oh, have to learn Jesus. it. It's like learning the, the new and old t- testament together. <laughs> But yeah. but essentially, they you know, actually make the officers learn oh, yeah. laws. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to learn real. all that stuff. And then, <laughs> do you guys get to take group tests like firemen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, we do do group tests. Uh, yeah, we, do, we do. <laughs> every, every single one of our tests were group tests. <laughs> yeah. So you know that's and, and then. Um, so is that a large? What portion of like of the training is learning the laws? Well, I would say that's probably. F- 50% and then wow. physical fitness 25 and then you know fire I would say firearms is firearms and DT uh 25% uh so yeah and I I know for me academically super difficult and until you actually become a police officer and you don't realize for me you know getting out of the academy and you get in that patrol car and you're you're with your training officer but they literally say and today it's a lot easier with technology and GPS and, and navigation, but I remember as a brand new officer working in a city that I had never lived in, having to get to 10 West Oak Street in whatever city, and I needed to get there freaking fast because someone just got shot, and I don't know where that is, and I got to look up like a Mars book or a, a geographically, I got to know north, south, east, west, I got to get there, dispatchers yelling at me, my training officers yelling at me saying, hey, there's someone else there that's been shot, and you're just processing information that's coming in and you're just like it's like it's like i'm i'm flying a fighter jet and i've never even flown a plane so (laughs) so it takes a lot of it it was so it just really rattles your 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 mind and your body for the first couple months but once you figure it out um it gets a little easier um where do you start to learn discretion i i would say discretion is something that you so you I would say, number one, it's nature versus nurture. We're all designed. We're born a certain way. I'm very even keel. I've been in situations with someone who's died or whatever. I'm I'm not going to really raise my voice. I've been in a life and death situation. I don't get overly high or low, and that's great for work um, on the on the on a personal life. I don't have a lot of highs or lows either. So, you know, I, I might have my significant other. She might be crying about something. She's so happy and elated. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, so, <laughs> And she's an amazing woman, too. I've, she I've is. known her for, for just as long as I've known Mike. I have and, to say this. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, She's, she's probably going to listen to this. Oh, yeah. So I, I would say, right. Yeah. And I'm sure she'll tell you all the shit that she should have said, too. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. What, what's she going to say about you? I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I think I'm on her good side since, I, since I'm her in-house designer. <laughs> so. um, but... No, so nature versus nurture. Um, I think, you know, we were born born with certain inherent traits, uh, whether we're gregarious or or all of those different traits. And I think as law enforcement, you take them. But I think we can adapt to what we learn um, through training and and evolution in the career path. But 
inherently those are all going to come out and you know I, you either have it or kind of you don't well, yeah, so, you no, I, I, so where i was going with that is you have you get you learn a lot of leeway in yeah. the application of the law oh. and in in the uh you know what you're going to do and the direction you're going to head with things and that's that's not an easy thing no, to no. learn right and, and and i think where you're going to is um de-escalation in our in our yeah and law enforcement is the most important thing i believe and i i've always kind of had a, a gift of gab like um you know if you had a uh, some sort of weapon like hey uh hey joe uh, do me a favor man just do me a favor before we do anything just set the knife down i know you're having a bad day you know and we've been taught de-escalation and we, we receive training each year but you it has to be part of you and you mm -hmm. have to like really apply that when you need to apply it and i think it's difficult because a lot of times, you know, you get tunnel vision. There's a lot of different things going on. You might be sleep deprived. You might have PTSD from another incident. So when someone brings that knife out, drop the knife. And it goes, we can, we can ratchet something up and we can ratchet something down. And I think as law enforcement for evolution, you know, it's hard to pick that cop that can do that. And we have some cops that if they were salesmen, oh, they could sell you anything. <laughs> and that's the guy you want out there all the time. Right. But unfortunately, when you have to hire 700 to 750,000 police officers, and, you know, I think financially, if you're going to pay a cop 15 bucks an hour in, in different states, like they don't get paid like they do out here or, or in the county area or smaller, you, you get what you pay for. Right. I hate to say it. Yep. Um, there's some no, fine officers. The truth, man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it all comes down to that. And if you're not going to pay somebody... Um, you're going to get kind of what you pay for, but you're not going to know what you have until, you know, in, until it gets to that situation. And hopefully our training process in law enforcement and that, that field training officer phase, like the guys that are looking at the young recruits, like we have to be um, very cognizant of, is this individual somebody that we can count on in a really stressful situation? And when we see officers, and I'm not going to go to specific officers, but officers, and there's a use of force, and then somebody's life's taken, you look back at their jacket, and they have 19 different quasi-disciplinary, like, should it get to that? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that agency, but right. you, I know it's hard to find cops, but we have to be held to a higher standard. And, you know, I think we're, with body-worn cameras and transparency, it's moving that way, because those guys... And girls that were bad apples, they're going to get weeded out really fast. Pretty quickly. And agencies are so liable for everything right now, they're not going to keep those individuals. So I do think for us in law enforcement, the next five or ten years, like you're going to get, I believe, a better product. And I do believe the younger people coming in, I want to say they have more empathy, empathy because they were raised differently. For sure. Maybe not as hardcore as no, us. Yeah, for sure. And, sure you know, it, so that's probably a good thing. Now, is that going to work out perfect in a use of force scenario. I don't know. They might not have the real life experience to handle that scenario, but I'll be put in a situation. Hopefully it never happens, but I could be put in a situation that I was never prepared for. And I might make a wrong decision because we're all human beings and we're not perfect. How much do you think uh, the job has changed in your 20 years? Because I have a feeling you're doing a lot more now <clears throat> that police officers in general are doing a lot more now than they they were ever designed to do. The, the, the law enforcement and the police department was never designed to do a lot of things you have to do now. Yeah, so I do think uh, customer service and just talking to human beings uh, 20, 25 years ago when I got into law enforcement. Now, you had cops back then that were just phenomenal, very professional, and they would never lower their, their expectations to a level. But I think a lot of times... Um, 
you know, cops would take stuff personal, contempt of cops, something like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, but nowadays, you know, we're um, almost every large police department. When you go live on a call or, or any interaction with the public, your body worn cameras on. So if you're going to use vulgarity, if you're going to be rude, if you're going to just be an a-hole like it's all documented and we are held to a higher standard now. And we absolutely should, because if we lose the public's trust, we've lost the public's trust in some areas of the country right now. Um, it inherently is bad for us and it's going to be bad for them. And, and the reason I say that, and like I said, I have this 50,000 foot view cause I get to travel around a lot to different cities and do operations and see how it works. But a lot of these areas that are crime ridden, so to speak, um, when, everybody in that community hates law enforcement and they don't want them there, you know, then law enforcement isn't going to be as proactive and may not respond to certain calls for service or might not give the attention that it should, should be. And then you're going to have gang infested areas that are literally going to take over those neighborhoods, kind of like a cartel does in Mexico. And literally it's, and you have good citizens in those areas and they're running scared because now law enforcement's like, you know what? We're going to go hang out in the in the suburbs or we're not responding to the calls in the inner city. So it just breaks it both ways and they're not getting the customer service and the cops are rallied up with their little wagons. And they're like, well, that's what you wanted. See, ya. we don't want to go in there because we get complained on for anything. So right. it's difficult. Yeah. It's so difficult. Not, not easy. All right. So you, so you graduate. Any honors come out of come out of the academy? Uh no, uh, I actually hurt myself. I, I pulled you're, a you're, you're a little bit of a paper yeah, tiger. Yeah, I, sure. I, I pulled a yeah. pulled a ham, <laughs> I pulled a hammy, and uh, <laughs> at the very end, and I was really good at physical fitness, and I was going for the uh, like like kind of like there was a guy in my class um, from another agency, and he was just a stud. He broke the academy record for the obstacle course, but wow. I was pretty close to him. But long story short, is I pulled a hammy, trying to catch him. Yeah, trying to yeah. catch him, and so. Um, to graduate, you have to do like a 10 mile run up a South mountain and I'll never forget. It was the day up to the towers, up to the towers. Yeah. Yeah. So not a few times with our recruits. Oh yeah. And it's, 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 it's not easy. It's a long day. Yeah. So (laughs) I remember I pulled my hammy really bad the day before and they take me up to the, uh, uh, the administrative administration's office. And I meet with the, uh, commander for the police Academy and he's like, Hey, Sorry, Mike. Uh, we're gonna have to wash you out. You're gonna have to recycle. Oh, so fuck. once your hammy's better, come back to us. And I was just devastated. Yo, fuck that. I'm gonna wrap this thing up and go. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so I I get home and I get a call from my chief at the time. And this was a chief who, like I said, he was the one who gave me the opportunity. And he calls he me. He likes you. He's like, hey, Mike. He's like, basically, I got a lot of pull. He's like, if you can do one thing for me, you'll walk with the class. I go, what's that, sir? He's like. I need you to run up that mountain with the rest of your guys. And he's like, can you do that? And if you can, then you don't got to recycle. I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, take a bunch of Advil and suck it up. And he's a former military guy, yeah. super tough guy. And I'm like, yes, sir. And that's what I did. I wrapped it. And yeah. um, so I, a little DMSO yeah, on that thing. Yeah. But then I've been very fortunate. You know, I, uh, uh, you know, my career path is kind of atypical. I go to my law enforcement agency and I do two years on patrol. Two that's and it? Half, that's it. Two and a half years on patrol. And kind of voluntold like hey we want you to come up to detectives and start working some crimes and why that, why i uh, i was a hard charger i worked really hard i was right. i i believe i was a good patrol officer um good customer service i was just like did you like did you get accolades did you get like yeah i got recognized uh, or something so that i've got a, um, you know i've got come on i've got out. employee of the year i've got all sorts <laughs> of different you. things i've gotten 
meritorious service awards, unit citations. I've got like in that two year period, you got, yeah, that I got stuff? I, yeah, I got some awards for like officer of the quarter. Wow. Um, I didn't get employee of the year at that time cause I was new, too new, but, um, so I got some stuff like that. I and, got dick of the day. And that's all the month. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So every month, <laughs> yeah, every month. And, and I'll never forget. They basically told me like, you need to go to this detective unit. And so two and a half year, two and a half day. Uh, command staff. So yeah. I, I quote, quote, test for this position. Right. I get the position and I remember the first day I show up and I meet my uh, boss. How old are you at that point? Geez, 25. Oh, seriously, young kid. Yeah, young yeah. kid. Very young to be a detective. Like, Just like general sure. detective or they, they yeah, spe- it, it, you start specializing? It was, it was like, an, uh, like a neighbor, a community response team. So basically I dealt with community complaints. But having said that, it was kind of the best unit because you, know, you could work uh, uh drugs you could work property crimes you could do anything undercover and you could be bike certified and you can get on your patrol bicycle in your uniform ride around or you can jump in a patrol car and do enforcement so it was a totally proactive unit and i'll never forget i show up first day because being in patrol you're used to a set time briefing my boss tells me hey come in this day and i didn't really know what the team did because i was a brand new cop i hadn't done a lot of <laughs> t-shirts sh- yeah <laughs> so i walk in and the my i go hey hey sir like what i, I what time's briefing he's like we don't have briefing. He's like, here's the key to a car. It's an old Nissan Sentra. And he's like, it's that great piece of crap out there. And I go, well, what do I do? He's like, go arrest bad guys. Figure it the fuck out. Yeah, figure it out. And yeah. I'm like, and I just remember walking out there with one of my buddies. He got, he got. This is the fucking most yeah. awesome thing ever, man. Yeah, he's like, so I looked at him and he, he got, he got voluntold too to come up this oh, unit. Nice. We look at each other and I go, hey, bro. I'm never going back to patrol. <laughs> yeah, no, I, so, wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. So for the last, you know, over 20 years, I've been doing plain clothes stuff. I've worked um, narcotics. Uh, How much better is plain clothes stuff than a million I mean, times better? Um, and for the mere fact that it doesn't take lives off your career, and I'm just saying that in a generalization. But when you put that uniform on every single day, you know, once you put that uniform on and you get in that car. That anything can happen. Everybody in the public's looking at you. And there's a lot of people in the community that really like us. There's tons of people that love us. But I can tell you what, there's a percentage of the population that doesn't like us. And, you know, several times a year, there's cops that get ambushed. Um, I think annually, you know, 58,000 cops are assaulted during encounters. Uh, about every 54 minutes, a police officer is killed in our 54 hours, a police officer is killed in the country. Uh, that equates to about... 170 to 200 a year so it's a dangerous job and you just know when you put that vest on you get in that patrol car you better have your head on a swivel no matter where you're at because you never know um when your, your time's coming and if you're not paying attention you're typing paper behind the walmart somebody might come from behind and put a couple bullets in the back of your head that's fucking crazy, and, dude. and i'll never forget like and and just so the audience you know put yourselves in not my shoes because I'm, I'm lucky I'm in plain clothes. Plus, and, you have really small shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Little midget so, feet. Size, size 13, buddy. <laughs> 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 so, but, but put your shoes in a, in a patrol officer. And I know there's so many things that are going on right now, but just think about it. The first call you get out of the blocks of the day is a child that drowned. You got to go to that, that call, and you might be pulling the child out with the parent administering CPR. FD is going to show up right away. They're going to help you out. We don't know the outcome of that, but that's very traumatic. Anytime you see a little kid, next call you go to might be a suicide. Um, that's difficult. You might have to do the notification to the family. That's a shitty day so far. And trust me, it can happen. Next call might be some sort of domestic violence. Husband beats up wife. 
Um, it's man, a regular day. Yeah, regular. Yeah, regular yeah. day. Then you go to a shoplift. You got a com- combative shoplifter. You do some talking to the individual that's a suspect. You find out that this was actually a mom um, who uh, was just had a family, had a, a great livelihood, had a job. And for whatever reason, she got in a car accident 10 years ago. She got hooked on pain pills and now she's on heroin. Her husband left her. She's living on the streets. She's, she's doing prostitutions to survive. And she went into the Albertsons and she stole a pack of cigarettes. And so you see this person that's been ruined um, Fuck, by all these different things. And you're just like, man, this sucks. And then the last call you go to might be an assault or whatever. And then the very last call of the day, I'm sitting there and I see Brandon in his low rider <laughs> truck roll the stop sign and I pull him over or run the stop sign or he's going 20 miles California an hour. California stop. California bro. stop. I just pull him over. I go, hey, hey, Brandon. Hey, bro, I need to see your license, registration, and insurance. Hey, fuck you. Hey, F you, mother effer, yeah. you racist pig. Like, you've already had a bad day and you've done this now for 5 to 10 to 15 years. So... I would say, I think some of the statistical averages are 20% of law enforcement have PTSD compared to like maybe 2% of general population. So you got guys that are walking around that have so much baggage, you're sleep deprived, you're eating like shit, you're not working out. Mm-hmm. So it's a very difficult job. So for everybody to sit here and cast stones, put yourself in our shoes and see I'm if you really out. want to do that job. I'm out. There's yeah, no I want to go be a firefighter. Yeah, I don't want to do that fucking job. Yeah. Not even, it's, no, I, I don't even want to do it for a month. Fuck that. Like, at there's all. no way. Well, it, and the thing is, is like we roll up with three, with four, like to roll up with one. Yeah. Like, like, like I've been on, I don't know if, if, if you remember, but remember when those two priests got attacked in downtown Phoenix? Yeah. Well, we were first there and you did some work. Well, the crazy thing was we went in, in, into the rectory and there's one fucking poor bastard holding the hallway. Yeah. And he was there by himself. He's like, can you guys work this by yourself? I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, what do you need? He's like, I'm just going to fucking stay right here. I'm like. Yeah, you stay right there. We'll, we'll we'll go in the room, and it was probably, I don't know, man. It seemed like five minutes, but it might have been two or three minutes where, where he was having to hold that whole building by himself. I'm like, I remember leaving that call going, "Fuck that!" Yeah, like with with a pistol. I'm yeah. like, "Fuck that!" I'm like, "There's no way, man. I'm out." And that's the one thing, like, um, you, you just never know. And for me, it's a my wife. My wife always gets pissed. I always just say. You know, she's always like, hey, be safe and stuff like, oh, hey, I'd rather be lucky than good because you never really know. Yeah. Like tactically, uh, all that stuff. Hopefully I've, I've gleaned a lot of that stuff and I'm in good physical f- shape. And I got I think I have good awareness. But in law enforcement, when it's your time to go, sometimes you just can't avoid it. Yeah. Um, so you got to have that mentality, I think, because I think if you sit down and worry about it, um, it'll eat you alive. Um, but on on the flip side, too, um, I remember as a patrol officer just coming home. And you're processing maybe one to three traumatic things you see a night. And then it might take four to five hours sometimes for your brain to slow down. And and then you're not getting the sleep. And when your sleep's disrupted, your circadian rhythms are all jacked up. Mm-hmm. It just really messes with you. So for me, being in plain clothes, and I deal with sex trafficking and human trafficking, I do see traumatic things, um, but not as often. And I think that I'm able to prepare myself what I'm going to get into because I know when I'm going to arrest a suspect. I know that the device that I seize might have child pornography. It might have some abusive stuff, but I'm kind of prepared for that. And I don't have to see it every single day. And I'm not wearing a uniform every second of the day for 10 to 10, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. I'm just like, everybody's looking at me. They're out to get me. They either love me or they hate me. So, uh, you know, I'm very blessed because um, I think I can do like another five or 10 years easily. I feel like 
my longevity as an officer is maybe eight to ten years right now, where I'm well over twenty. So I don't think she's gonna let you do another ten to yeah. fifteen. Yeah. I don't so, know. The drop's pretty damn good, bro. You're darn straight. <laughs> so, so that's one thing that there are some 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 talks or some I don't know. If there's any studies out there about like like special operations guys. They have less P- PTSD because they're taking the fight to yep. the bad guys. Yep. Where where whereas that's kind of like what you're doing. Versus a patrol cop, they're a lot of times reactive. Yeah, they're fucking reactive. So, so they are walking on eggshells. All right, so you're, you get your Nissan Sentra, you're fucking rolling around, <laughs> yeah, doing do, doing cop shit, rolling heavy. Yeah, where do you go from there? So, um, I, I guess I got the first taste of detective work, and one of the first things I was ever asked to do at my agency was uh, we had a big problem with prostitution in our city. And um, back then, we called it prostitution. We didn't call it human trafficking. We didn't call it anything else. Um, we've kind of renamed that, and I, I'll go into that. But essentially... We I didn't a, realize that. That's totally changed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we have to, as law enforcement, we have to rebrand it. Because I can tell you, 20 years ago, when I first started working prostitution, um, a lot of the guys I worked with, and gals, um, it, is a, it is a male-dominated profession, um, I think FD probably has more females, but I, I think we're rolling about 12% nationwide. And I'm hoping something, you know, that's something that we want as law enforcement. We want more females. We want more um, ethnicity. We want all that, um, not just white males, you know, but it's one of those professions. And I think we're doing a better job of that. But um, when I started doing prostitution, all the guys and girls that helped me out, like I, I found that. You know, I was tasked with arresting females in our city that were committing acts of prostitution. Um, we had their pimps that were robbing the Johns or the buyers of sex. And uh, so I had to learn how to do that. I went over to the largest agency at the time, and the only one in the Valley that was actually doing that type of enforcement was Phoenix PD. Went over there for several months, and I uh, worked embedded with one of their vice units. I learned how to do that violation, how to work, and I came back to my agency. <laughs> I always want to say my agency, <laughs> but my agency and sounds so, so fucking secretive. Yeah. yeah. So it's some black. Yeah. Trust me. If I said my agency and my other agency, it'd be hard for me to do this podcast. <laughs> right. It wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be a good conversation. No, I yeah. appreciate it. So, um, so I learned right away, you know, we started contacting the girls and I was told basically arrest every prostitute that we find in our city, give them a citation and, I remember after the first 10 or 12 females, I always debrief them, figured out right away, um, we want to arrest these girls and kick them out of here. But just by debriefing these girls, every one of these girls has been physically, sexually, or mentally abused. They're victims of life. A lot of them are high on drugs. Um, A lot of them have been abused, um, stabbed, raped, molested, uh, burned, you name it. So after the first couple of years of doing this, I'm like, I think we're going after the wrong person. But back then in law enforcement, we still called it prostitution and vice. Didn't really uh, address it as as a victim-related crime. And so fast forward, um, I got moved over to more of a high-level narcotic conspiracy squad. I did that for, geez, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, something like that. But I always would do um, prostitution investigations. I would do in-call, out-call dates in hotel rooms, uh, girls that are working in, in, in home brothels, massage parlors, all that kind of stuff. And I always had a passion for it because working dope, I've, I've worked dope 
in Arizona, down on the border and different states, all that stuff. But I always was really interested in the vice aspect, and I always knew that there was more to it. And um, everybody I worked with, for the most part, just said, hey, man, I don't know why you waste your time. They're just prostitutes. Like, get over it. Who cares? You ain't going to do anything with that. It's a, it's a dead-end career path at our agency. And uh, super blessed, uh, eight or nine years ago, I was hit up by a, a large federal law enforcement agency, and they wanted to establish a task force in the Phoenix area, a human trafficking task force, to address um, prostitution. But I remember sitting down with this agent and we talked about it and they said, Hey man, you have a lot of experience, probably some of the most in the Valley. Why don't you jump on board? And I said, you don't understand my agency. I don't know that they're going to let me and stuff. He's like, well, we're rebranding this. We're going to call it human trafficking. And we've done a disservice to the public and to these victims of these crimes. Like we need to rebrand it. And I, I, you know, eight to 10 years ago that we started calling it human trafficking and the amount of resources, uh, dedication of officers, and I would equate it to Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which 25, 30 years ago, we can remember our family members um, that used to drink and drive and they'd hit a tree and just leave the car parked there. Or the, <laughs> or the cop would be like, hey, man, just move it off. Or, yeah. Yeah. Fucking don't Can drive. somebody come get him? Yeah. yeah. That yeah. type of thing. And, it, it was re- and we know now if, if any one of us being firefighters or a police officer, we get pulled over for drunk driving you're going to jail. Um, they don't mess around with it. And it's the stigma is very different. And I think um, we've done some of that with human trafficking now. It's not cool as a man to buy sex. And when I do my trainings and all that kind of stuff, we try to really harp on that. We go after the buyers of sex a lot more now, which is, you know, it's a supply and demand relationship. If you didn't have guys buying sex, you wouldn't have girls uh, selling sex. And then the big thing, too, is we go after the traffickers or the pimps, um, the, the guys that make money off of basically running these girls. They're very physically, mentally um, abusive to these females that are basically broken human beings in a lot of aspects. And they take advantage of their vulnerabilities and they recruit these girls and they, they get them into these career paths and they just use them 24-7 to make money off these girls. Um, so it's, it's a crazy situation. It's very sad. Um, what drives it? Does it does it does it get worse in poor economic times? Does it get worse in good economic times? Well, does it matter? Yeah, so that's a, that's actually a great question. It's a like I said, it's a supply and demand relationship. So us as Arizona, we have a lot of factors that drive it. Um, I would say that you know, um, anytime you have a male dominated sporting event that comes to the valley, you have the Super Bowl, yeah, you have the yeah. Fiesta Bowl, oh, yeah. you have spring training. Um, any type when you have a large influx of males coming in, a lot of them uh, might be wealthy. They have money um, and they're going to come here and they're going to buy sex. So um, during those large influxes, um, you're going to have girls that come all across the country. They flood into Arizona and they're <laughs> going to start working here. And, um, you know, so those are some of the big things. Snowbirds, you know, but we also are. We're, we're right next to dirty old bastards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have a lot of wow. massage parlors, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. But gotcha. some of the big factors too is, um, a lot of birds. I can't I wouldn't even, even fucking yeah. imagine dude. NASCAR, you know, so all those big sporting events, um, you know, if you had, uh, well, I lost my train of thought, but what also happens to you guys is they take the girls. And if you're a pimp and you're trafficking two or three girls, you don't want to stay in Phoenix too long because, mm-hmm. um, so they're one, kind of transient. They'll move. They just keep moving absolutely. on. And, and same thing with the massage parlors is you're, you're 
crime spree, so to speak, or you're trafficking these girls and they're committing prostitution dates. If you stay in a place too long, law enforcement starts figuring out and you're going to have a more likelihood of, of getting in trouble. So what they do typically is L.A. is the biggest market. You know, you got you got, you know, 40,000 people live in California, but then you also have Sin City. You got Las Vegas. So a lot of times, you know, you're going to have a girl from the Seattle. She's going to come down. She's going to work in Portland for 10 days. She's going to go to L.A., hit L.A. for 10 days, San Diego. She come to Phoenix for 10 or 15 days. Then she's going to go to Sin City, and she's going to do it all over again. A lot of times when we arrest these girls, um, we, if we give them a prostitution site, um, they're, gonna, they're just going to bail out of the state. So a lot of these girls that we arrest, um, if we don't book them into jail, you know, they're going to be FTA on some sort of misdemeanor warrant, a failure to appear. So that's something we deal with. But we don't really go after the girls. We go after them in the sense that if we have a career girl that's a, an escort or prostitute, like if you've been arrested for it 28 times, um, we're not going to give you a, a, a freebie. We're not going to try to help you out as much right. unless you are being trafficked. But I can tell you this, we go out there every single day. Now, all these law enforcement agencies that work this violation and we don't go out there with the intention of actually arresting them. We go out there to identify them, to say, Hey, Shelly, um, are you okay? We're not actually here to give you a ticket. What you did was against the law. Um, we have victims advocates that are clinically trained. They're actually here to help you. We have survivors of, of commercial sex acts. These girls were prostitutes or they've been trafficked for years. They're now here to help you. They want to talk to you. We have them waiting in another room. So we offer services to all these girls. We tell them like, hey, just to let you know, um, we can get you out of this situation right now. Um, That's fucking awesome. And dude. we do that every yeah. single day, but it's very difficult. And, and the reason why it's difficult, um, number one is, if Shelly, let's just use Shelly. Shelly grew up in Tempe. She comes from, and this is, and this would be the typical story. And I don't want to say, you know, is it is it exactly right? No, but I can tell you, it's probably ninety nine percent right. Shelly comes from a, a broken family, uh, some sort of divorce. Like a lot of times, a separated family. Father's going to be out of the picture. Um, mom gets a boyfriend and when Shelly's nine years old or 10 years old, boyfriend's going to molest Shelly. So you have sexual abuse and that sexual abuse manifests itself in all different ways. And it might do it. It might do it right away. She might have some self-harming, some cutting. She might be 13, start using drugs. But a lot of times what happens that sexual, um, prostitution, stuff like that manifests down the road. And, um, you know, she probably never got the counseling, the therapy she needed. So, Somehow she starts making poor decisions and she ends up in prostitution. She maybe dropped out of high school, never got a college degree, never has like any training or experience to do anything else. So when we contact Shelly at age 19, she's been a prostitute since she was 16. And we say, Shelly, like we're here to help you. She's addicted to heroin. um, So she's got a physiological addiction to an opiate. And we're like, Shelly, listen, I'm right here in front of you. We're here to help you. All she can think about it is getting her next high. She knows that her pimp, who's a total piece of shit, um, is abusive, beats her up, but um, he knows that he also gives her heroin twice a day. And it was better than her abusive mom and her abusive boyfriend, and she can just survive. So she looks at us, and she can take that card right now to get out of the life. We'll give her education. We'll put her in safe a safe shelter, um, uh, all sorts of facilities we can get her in, get her detoxed. But I would say out of all those scenarios, maybe 5% of the time Shelly will take us up on it. The other 95% they walk. But what we did do is we planted a seed. We provide information. I might say, hey, I'm Mike. 
This is my cell phone number. You call me any time of the any time of the day, 24-7, my phone's on for you. Or I give her numbers to different types of uh, resources. And I can tell you this, I've been called two years in the future. You know, Shelly calls me and Shelly's like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. This is Shelly, but I'm sitting on the side of the road right now. My arm's broken. You know, I got a skull fracture. I don't know who to call, but I'm calling you. And so we can reach out in law enforcement. We can go out there. And I get emotional because I see a lot of bad things. And so I think we take, you know, we take that. And, you know, if you're very passionate about working this profession, you can help a lot of people. But it's difficult. And Well, you're a human being, man. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so. At the fucking end of the day, when, so. when you see anybody hurting, if it doesn't affect you, yeah, there's and then, something wrong. And you got to be able to feel it to process it, right? If you shut it out, yeah. that's probably the worst thing you can fucking do. Yeah, so um, you know, so that part of the job's difficult. And then when you start... How, to- how often has that happened? Like, <laughs> how many times have they called you, like, you know, and said, hey, dude, I need some fucking help? Uh, you know, I think sometimes we go on runs where, you know, I can just tell you I work in the Phoenix metro area doing large operations like this all the time. We might contact a hundred girls that are in this scenario Mm -hmm. and a hundred girls in a row will basically say F you they're militant towards police. They're under the influence of drugs. They don't want anything to do with us, but we might get lucky and we might get the next 10, eight out of 10 will take our services. So you just can't predict it. You just never know. But you, what you do do is you, we, we go out there and we, we tell them, Hey, we're not that cop from 10 or 20 years ago. We're human beings. We're here to help you. Um, but what I will tell you, Shelly, is um, I know what you're posting right now. I know where you're posting. Um, I know that you're on the prostitution track on 27th Avenue and Camelback. I know we know that you're out here now. So this is your freebie. We're yeah. offering this to you. Please take it right now because next time I don't know that we're going to be able to give you another freebie. So um, can you put your finger on? success stories where you oh, absolutely. where you legitimately yeah absolutely they stopped yeah I I, I I i can tell you i and those are the actually the the funnest things and the greatest thing about my career path um from working narcotics um you know people that i <laughs> we had arrested um and that's and my biggest thing is when i arrest somebody and if we're doing one of those things whether they're getting booked into jail or i'm doing a a long form where i release them from the police department if they're not like a a violent crime, they're not a threat, is um, I hope that when that person's walking out or that person's getting booked, I always try to reach out and I shake their hand and I say, hey, man, or her, I wish you the best. And it's usually hymns because right. guys are it's retarded. Yeah, we're just, yeah. yeah, we're idiots. We're evolved uh, yeah, monkeys. Yeah, that's that's why we are. If we were fucking aliens, I'd kill all the humans and keep all the females. <laughs> exactly. Like, we're the ones that carry all the much, fucking problems. A much better place. And any female that's bad, a man after up. Yeah, I agree. Seriously. Yeah. But... Um, the biggest success, <laughs> the biggest success story for me is you know shake that person's hand, make sure I'm on good terms when they face whatever they're gonna face. But to get a call back and give them my business card, like hey, um, I really want to hear from you. And and I've got calls ten years. Um, there's an individual recently in my life that um, came back, and it was somebody who was involved in narcotics, uh, a very smart individual, and uh, an individual that I worked. Um, you know, we use sources, we work informants, but this yeah, person yeah. worked for me very young and uh, and was an adult. But I just knew this person was like, 
uh, Doogie Hauser smart. Oh, wow. And you knew this person, like, if used that for the good, could be a very successful human being. And, and now this person has come back. This person's a millionaire, f- super successful. And wow. That person's, and I did something when that person went for the new career path because of the contact with law enforcement. Um, that person was not going to get a job. And I actually had to write, like, a character letter um, just explaining that this person had helped us out wow. and that... Um, you know, because of whatever the person was arrested for, um, he's a good, I believe he's a good human being now. And that person succeeded in life and now that person's just crushing it. And so that's, that's cool. And well, how cool is it for the fact that you got to pay it forward? Yeah. Exactly. Somebody yeah. for you, right? Yeah. yeah. So you, you totally got to pay it forward. And, if, for and when you else. get to do that, um, it's just, it's really cool. And so, yeah. So if we can touch somebody's life, but I'll tell you this too. Um, a lot of what I do is I hunt bad guys online, like social media, stuff like that. And when I say hunt, I hunt for bad human beings that literally want to do really bad things to small kids, like boys, girls, young adults or whatever. So I literally, you know, to hunt a bad human being and you can say what you want, but there's some people that have been arrested 38 times. I don't know that rehabilitation's just in their DNA. And to take a person out of the gene pool, so to speak, and yeah, they move them off the chessboard, just move them off the chessboard, yeah. incarcerate them because we're going to be a lot safer in society. Um, and that's the other thing people have to realize in law enforcement. When we use force and I contact somebody who's a career, whatever, gangster, criminal, whatever, when I tell somebody that's 230 pounds, I'm 200 pounds or 195 pounds, I say, hey, sir, you're under arrest. And he says, F you. And the fight's on. Like, <laughs> oh boy. I'm 40, you know, I'm in my 40s. Like, should I, should I have to get beat up to the point where I'm almost unconscious to pull? Like, at what point am I authorized? Like, because I know what my force continuum is for my agency in Arizona Post, all that kind of stuff. But I think society thinks we need to get our ass kicked first um, before man. we can use any force. But at that point, if you let a fleeing felon or you let somebody kill you with your service weapon or or someone else someone else like we're liable either way if if we don't shoot somebody who just um carjacked somebody and shot at three more cops and fleeing and we kill that individual we're going to get judged on shooting that individual because i'm sure that individual was a fine outstanding <laughs> citizen he's on his third rosary yeah <laughs> um but if we don't kill that person that person gets away and goes and carjacks somebody else and kills them. Who do you think's getting sued? Yeah, you're going straight. Yeah, so it's it sucks, and it's and it's to the point where we've been boxed in so much right now that it's really hard to, uh, you know, be perfect in this job because you can't. No, I mean you you could fucking never expect that out of anyone. And, and I think what people don't realize, if you've ever been in a firefight or been in a tense situation where violence does ensue, it's split seconds you have to make the decision. Yeah, yeah. So, and 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 I remember watching something when when someone got shot. I don't know how how long ago. Maybe it was it was in Phoenix, but they brought one of the guys that 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 was a big advocate, and they put him in the same situation three times. He shot the fucking person every, every single, single time. time. Yeah, every single oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah. Shot him every That's, time. Still to this day, he's an outspoken prick. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't uh, yeah. learn anything from that. Uh, we won't say who it is, but I know exactly. Yeah, I know yeah. who he is. Too. I remember yeah. watching. I'm like, you physically went through this thing, and 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 he didn't have any fucking hesitation, no. and <laughs> he, he didn't learn anything afterwards. And, yeah, and 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 two for a lot of society like they judge these scenarios when they watch it on their tv social media or whatever a lot of these individuals have never been in a physical fight in their life um like like we talked about they've never faced 
a life or death situation when someone's shooting or has a knife. Um, there's all these different things in, you know, well, why don't you shoot him in the ankle? Why don't you give him the Vulcan death grip and just, <laughs> yeah. that shit doesn't work. And, no. and, and you can, you just gotta, well, especially some of these females that, because, because Chris worked in Homeland for a real long time. And then I've been part of the active shooter shit or whatever. And then we've done the large, um, active shooter stuff with, mm-hmm. with, with the academy class, stuff like that. And when, and when we're in there doing the debriefings, I'm like, this fucking girl's 120 pounds. And this other boy or man is 140 pounds. I'm like, yeah. who in the fuck are you going to stop? Like, yeah. you're not going to stop someone that's, that's 200 pounds and skilled. Yeah. And I think that's, that's also another thing is like the force continuum for someone who, can you explain the force continuum? Cause some people are going to think it's a that's Star a good Trek question. Thing. Yeah. Well, uh, essentially, it's it's what level of force that we're reasonably la- reasonably allowed to use in a scenario. So from non-lethal, little yeah, lethal, non-lethal. Right? So the, the the first one is your presence. So if I show up and Brandon is wielding a broken shard of glass that's six inches long and he's high on methamphetamine. Sounds like a good Saturday night for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, first of all, I want to consider I want to consider my concealment cover. I should hopefully have something that's between us. Um, now he has a shard of glass that's six inches long that can definitely kill me. I recognize that in law enforcement. A lot of other individuals would not recognize that as a, a lethal weapon. Really? Oh, come on. Really? Uh, Half of society would be like, Why'd you pull your gun it's out? It's just a piece of glass. Just, exactly. It's just a piece of glass. Fucking neck but, yeah. but so, you know, essentially me being there, my presence is the first, the force continuum. But I need to start considering, number one is, am I, am I escalating this situation? If Brandon is in a parking lot and um, I start giving him verbal commands and I start... Uh, closing the distance this day and age in law enforcement you know there's some we should not be doing that we should be giving him space now the other caveat to this is if he's in front of the walmart and there's other people around and he's suicidal saying he's going to kill other people you have a really shitty scenario that you do not want because if you don't take action quick enough he turns around and stabs uh mrs smith Smith walking out where there are four kids and stabs every one of them kills them I'm SOL. So it's a, and that's what people do not consider the scenarios that we're put in. And so, um, you got, there's so many different things. So, um, presence is, you know, kind of the first level of force, which is not really force, verbal commands, and then soft hands where maybe I contact (laughs) you and I I grab you. But then, you know, like Brandon, you're under arrest. Now, if he had the knife, obviously I'm not going to do that because that would be suicide. I'm not going to do that. So I have two, I have two options. Like if it's just me and him and I got to really, if I got to be exponential in this situation, you have a less lethal option, you have a taser or you have a firearm. So you better figure out for me, I'm going to go with a firearm because yeah, I, re- too. I recognize that's a lethal scenario, yeah. but I can tell you what you guys with everything that's going on in our country, we are literally getting cops that are getting the crap beating out of them. They're getting shot at first because they're scared to pull the trigger because they know that they will be judged. And and that that should never happen. Would we, you shoot him in the leg, Mike? Yeah, and yeah, and stupid. and I've seen so many different videos now of cops being beat up, literally, and they're getting they're getting jumped by a mob of human, you know, mob that of fucking people. Makes my blood and they will not pull, they will not pull a gun out, and because they don't want to, because these people are unarmed. But there's six of them that are they're beating him up or hit him with a trash can lid. I saw one in in New York. You know, he got smashed with a trash can lid and. Yeah, it could be a lethal weapon because once you're unconscious, 
you're, you, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't defend yourself. My fucking personal opinion is if you put your hands on anyone fucking uniform, expect to get put down some way, somehow. And like, fucking yeah. without, without question. Well, so like, public, the position of public safety we find ourselves in is we are, we are incredibly, the society is incredibly judgmental. It's led by the political body because yeah. they, they just, they, they want that stuff. And it, it's, they're there to criticize underreaction and they're there to criticize overreaction. Fucked, and way. the, the law, the the, mid, the space between those two is so freaking tiny oh, yeah. that uh, it's yeah it's it's not it, it's not a, a, a position or a system we're not gonna, or we're going to be able to keep up for very long yeah and and the one thing is you know we call it the thin blue line or whatever but I, I want to say it's essentially we're in place to <laughs> us be between disorder and anarchy so to speak mm-hmm. because. Um, statistically, you know, I, I wrote down some statistics and stuff, but I, I know a lot of them too. But you know, every last year, 2019, um, you know, uh, tw- there was something like, I write one, 12,000 homicide investigations in our country. So that's a lot of a lot of things people have to consider. 89,000 armed robberies. God damn. Uh, 400,000 aggravated assaults. And 500,000 violent crimes. So if you think you want to defund the police department and not have any cops, <laughs> Good luck. have at it. Because I, I agree there's an aspect of, of what we do is mental illness. We can do stuff better, absolutely. But when you have to use force, you can't have a counselor. You can't have a therapist. Because when that person's high on meth and has that six-inch six shard of glass, and you're going to be like, honey, come over here. We're going to yeah. talk about it. Like. Unfortunately, it's not going to work out. It's not going to be a peaceful resolution. No, well, so I'm sure you remember. Remember the the incident in Los. I think it was Los Angeles City a few years ago, where you had armed gunmen with body armor wreaking havoc in downtown L.A. Oh yeah, yeah. they didn't have what they needed to respond. They were highly kids. critical of them afterwards. Yep. So they get the things they need to actually to respond to that threat, and now they're over militarized. Yeah, yeah. And, and with school shootings and active shooters and all the crazy stuff we've seen lately, and for people to say that um, we're too militaristic, uh, we have too too big of weapons, do we see what when we have mass shootings and the and the weapons that these individuals the bad have, guys have they, fucking better shit sometimes exactly yeah they have better exactly. shit than what you guys have you know so uh, you know the the gun violence in a lot of these inner cities you know twenty people killed on a weekend in Chicago. Um, That's a light weekend there. Yeah, I, I think their records like eighty six or some shit like that. Like yeah, so for for to say like I don't know, do you want to give us nightsticks? Like I, what do you want to? <laughs> what do you guys want to give us? Because we need something. And if you're gonna tell me that I can't have a weapon, then we're obviously not gonna be out there. Well, and then like my, like like my thing is like I've seen the people say hey, defund it. If there's something, we'll send in a behavioral counselor. This and the other. My thing is. Go ahead, give that a shot. Let me know how it works. The in in, in two weeks you're gonna be like, well, fuck that. We don't want to do this. No yeah. thanks. That's that's fucking and, crazy. And, and the other thing too is these individuals. Um, and when I say these individuals are so judgmental, but the individuals making negative comments towards law enforcement, a lot of them have never been. They live in these bubbles. If you live in suburbia, uh, if you live in these different areas, you, you don't even know anything about crime, no. and you think everything's hunky dory and perfect. The worst thing that can happen is when you go to Starbucks and they give you a... Your, your tea's bad, it's wrong. Yeah, it's <laughs> some, some ridiculous thing or you had a bad day on social media. They don't realize that there are actually, unfortunately, bad human beings that live 
in, on planet Earth in the United States that every single day, um, when you go to work nine to five every single day, they go out there, they steal, they rob, they rape, they hurt people, um, they break into your house, um, they're high on drugs, and they make a lot of really horrible decisions. And unfortunately, they don't call firefighters for those individuals, they don't call doctors, they don't call teachers, they call the police department to deal with those individuals. And we're put in a shitty position from... From the time that that dispatch comes out, whether it's on our computer in the car or they vocally tell us, it's a no-win situation. We can't win sometimes, and and when we use force, everybody's going to sit back and look at it and like, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And and for everybody that wants to make a change, number one is if you really think fundamentally our police departments are, and, and will I say that there's, do I say that we're perfect? Absolutely not. We're human beings. There are bad cops out there. I can tell you this, though. Uh, 23 years ago to 25 years ago when I started this career path, we are much better. We are a a thousand percent better. And uh, we have the transparency now with body-worn cameras. Everybody has a cell phone. If you think a cop's messing up, hey, have at it recorded. And if that person was, I don't want that person on the same department as me. Absolutely not. But what I can tell you is I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) I tell people all the time, if the average American knew all the bad shit that happened every day, they would be scared the fuck out of their mind yeah. every day. Yeah. And because people have no fucking clue. They don't. And like like being in Homeland and and, and stuff yeah. like that. Like you That's- like like we fully understand like the the dude on the BMX bike with the backpack isn't a good dude most times. Yeah. So but but it's ever. Yeah, ever. Ever. He's thirty-two. Yeah, right. <laughs> Suspended driver's license. Yeah. Got a bunch of warrants and he's probably got dope in the background. Right, exactly. Burglar on a bike. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's tools. funny because because I've come across people, they're like, Oh, this seems like nice people. I'm like, that is not a nice person. That dude's wearing a fucking backpack. He's on a twenty-four inch BMX bike and it's ten o'clock at night. Right. The normal people aren't rocking that shit. Yeah. Like Really, it seems like a nice bike and a nice backpack. I'm like, uh, uh-uh. uh, that's not, 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 yeah. not as not, that's not a nice person. And the two other people on fucking mountain bikes at eleven o'clock at night with fucking backpacks on on the corner right in the park show, those are fucked up people too. Like those aren't normal people. You're just mad because you're getting called out in the middle of the night because you're ODing. <laughs> no, this is this is what I'm not even on fucking shift and I'm driving around. I'm like pointing this shit out. I'm like, yeah, there's no. fucking there's bad people everywhere, and the real slick ones don't look like bad people, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing for, for people. If, if, if you want to make law enforcement better, number one is we're hiring. We cannot hire enough police officers. So if you feel like you bring a different thought process to law enforcement, everybody's hiring. We need more women. We need more ethnicity. We need more people with uh, different types of views. Have at it because we will hire you in a second if you're a good human being. And we'll take it and we'll run with it. But here's the other deal. If you don't want to be a police officer, you can volunteer in police departments. Um, we have use of force boards, civilian boards. Most large law enforcement agencies have use of force boards that are comprised of officers and civilians. So we have civilians that review every single use of force that we do. So all this shit that the media is saying that like all this oversight that they act like doesn't fucking yeah, exist. It it's, it's actually there. Yeah. Disciplinary boards, the same thing. There's citizen panels. Huh. And if you feel like we're literally racist stormtroopers that are kicking people in the head every <laughs> single day. Um, Get on these boards and make sure that doesn't happen because I can tell you, most agencies, most large agencies, we have panels in existence. They're there. I can tell you that my agency that I work at, we've had it there for 20 years. So there's an oversight. And, um, you know, they look at these things and civilians are judging us. And if you feel like, okay, well, every citizen that's on that panel is probably some old 
old person that loves cops. Well, okay, then you be the young person. And if you're multiracial, if you're very liberal or whatever, get on that panel. We want your thought process. We want to educate you like this is how we do our job. And if you don't understand how we do our job, look into law enforcement a little more. And I think you'll find out that it's a scenario that, you know, it's like you just can't always win no matter how you performed your task. Sometimes you can just get out of the situation alive and you'll be judged on, did you use the perfect amount of force or not? But it's, it's difficult. And, and also have some empathy for us because everybody wants to cast stones saying that we're this or that. But most of us have families. We have kids. Um, I have hobbies all outside of, of law enforcement. I, I love gardening. I love and turtles. Turtles. <laughs> I love nature. I'm an environmentalist. I love fishing. I love hiking. I love working out. Like I'm not your typical cop. So for people, I'm actually pretty damn moderate, and I get teased because I will tell you, most law enforcement they're pretty, of course, they're pretty far right. Oh, but yeah. you know what? They love me for who I am, and and I'm not the only person that has those type of you know. I'm pretty socially moderate and all that kind of stuff. But we want diversity at our police departments, and we need diversity to make ourselves better. But it's out there, you guys. If you want to make us better, go out there and make it happen. Don't just cast stones. What a novel idea. Yeah. Uh, don't run your mouth and actually go do something. Get involved. Oh, that's fucking weird. Like, why would you yeah. ever want to do that? It's easier just to run your fucking mouth and talk shit and actually actually do, do something that might be somewhere what difficult. Did, what did Tim say the other day? Action's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Action is cool. <laughs> fucking very cool. Well, um, how do you deal, and, and you've kind of touched on it like a little bit, how do you deal with all this fucking craziness that you see on you know you know um i do find myself um i kind of you know social media for work i use it as a tool to catch bad guys but um i've seen some of the shit yeah but i'm on the private side um you know i I've almost kind of walk away from it, but I, I take everything with a grain of salt because I can tell you in my city, we had tons of um, Black Lives Matter protests and I'm all for it. Hey, if you want to protest peacefully, have at it. Like that's your First Amendment right. Just do it peacefully and stuff like that. And I understand why people have a viewpoint of, of law enforcement because they literally take that one video that was posted on social media or the news and they that's all they watch and then all of a sudden they watch 10 more of those of bad situations right. they don't understand that we arrest tens of thousands of people every single day with no incidents we put our bodies on the line or we were assaulted like i said f- about sixty thousand assaults on police officers every single year so if you think we're going in there and we're not unscathed you're absolutely wrong but how do i get through it um i think physical fitness is absolutely number one that's my number one. nutrition eating good um, I just really like, and I, when I'm not a cop, when I'm not on duty, I do everything to stay away from that. Um, you know, I try to just, just stay, uh, I make sure that my friends are not all police officers. I have some great friends that are police officers, but I can tell you, I have as many or more that aren't police officers and, and that kind of resets me. Um, you know, so that's get, crazy. I, Cause that's everything that you just said is what is is how I deal with all the shit that we do. Yeah. Work out, eat, sleep, be around people of 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 different backgrounds and like I'm trust me, I love the fire department. Like like I love the guys I work with. But there's only a handful of guys off, off the job that I really communicate with yeah. because I want to leave all that shit there. Yeah. So you know what I mean? and, and and you know we as a country I think we have to do so many different things. But um you know I, I think it comes down to I'm not gonna go into systemic racism or anything like that. We know that there's issues that have been and even now exist in our country, but I think we have to address, and economically we have to address our country because if you look at statistically, 
individuals forget if they're white, black, or Hispanic, or Asian, but if you grow up in that bottom 10% of earners and your parents earn $12,000 a year, um, you're 20% more likely to be incarcerated than somebody else. So um, the median income of somebody who's incarcerated is right around $19,000 a year. So basically, you need to be educated. You need to, hopefully, it's really difficult if you're born in one of those situations, but we need to do it better as, as a country of, of hopefully getting more people that that American dream, you know, be able to do that. Because unfortunately, people that are raised in those type of environments with not a lot of options, it's just it's hard as fuck. Yeah, yeah we know that. Like when FD responds or PD, we respond to these homes and you just got three or four or five kids and just, you just feel bad because you're like, man, I'm praying that they can get out of this and do it right. And, and if dad's not around, it's mom and mom's struggling and and then you got a bad social environment with gangs and just people in the neighborhood making bad decisions like god bless these kids i'd be lying to you if fucking i haven't you know if 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 i told you i never walked out of the house and said those kids are fucked Mm -hmm. oh like like, like i've said that you know fucking too many times like those kids are completely fucking ruined there's there's no hope for those fucking kids yeah because it's sad because you see it yeah. So, I mean, how do you talk to your kids about this stuff? Because I know, I, I, I mean, I know yeah. it has to come up and like... Yeah, you know, yeah. With... So, uh, my daughter, my daughter's younger. Uh, she's 13. And uh, for her, I know, uh, I have a son who's older, a teenager, but um, he's always pro-cop. He's always pro-cop. He's always pro- defending cops. And, and I tell him as, a, as his dad, I go, hey, bro, like, you need to tone it down because we mess up sometimes. You can't justify what happened with George Floyd no matter what. Those individuals, especially the individual, on his, go to prison for the rest of his life or whatever. I go, don't justify a bad police officer because that inherently makes me look bad. Don't ever do that. Um, but I, there are times where you obviously want to defend it. Now, my daughter, she's on the other spectrum because she is. Yeah, so she's she's uh, um, she sees all those videos of law enforcement and she just she's on social media nonstop and she sees all the um, scenarios where law enforcement has really screwed up and used aggressive force and. Um, she came to me a couple days ago, especially with the uh, individual in Buffalo, the older man. Yeah, right. Who was pushed oh, to the yeah, ground. And you watch that, and you're yeah. just like, damn. I just shook my head, and, and she was sobbing when she showed me this. And it was the first time I ever saw it. And I, I just laughed, like laughed in, like I was laughed because I was so upset. And I go, unbelievable. And she just ran out of the room, and <clears throat> she was so hurt that I laughed. Yeah. And I was laughed. I was just dumbfounded. I was like un-effing believable like we just you had can't this. take all the meathead out of you yeah <laughs> so i went back and we talked about it and stuff but you know i just t- say hey it's my career path you guys know what i do um and i always think about myself it's always a headline test for me um I, i'm very fortunate to be in the position i am just because of my juvenile past my checkered past but do i ever want to have the headline test um mike we won't say my last name but yeah. mike uh punches whoever in the back of the head after an arrest I'm on front page news my family's embarrassed like I would never want that so I always tell them hey you know I believe I'm pretty competent in my abilities like I'm never gonna uh, hopefully that never happens um, like I said you can always be put in a scenario that you just m- make a poor decision whether it's tunnel vision something like that like I've been involved in shooting situations and you know I found myself like when I heard like just going back to training like Things for me actually opened up like the shots were muffled, they're quiet, mm-hmm. and my vision went like this. Just like I, in a game. Yeah, and then, so but I've game. seen other people like doing violent takedowns, like 
you know, I've seen people crash cars and they didn't see something. Yeah. They didn't because it goes and your vision is just so small. So, but you played linebacker in college <laughs> too, right? Yeah. So you got to be able to see the field. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You got to yeah. be able to see the uh, the pulling guard, yeah, or because if not, you know, and, I, and like I said, athletics are really. I well, think paramount to everything. And those things like that. adversity, because you will find that there's somebody in life that's better than you, no matter what you can train <laughs> as hard time. as you want most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're going to, you're literally going to get kicked in the face and you're going to be laying on the ground. And all you can do is get up and make yourself better yeah. and just show resolve and stuff. And well, I mean, you can't kid yourself and, and, and think that your ability to read an offense or something like that does not, did not, it, that it doesn't help you. In a, yeah, there in is a, a translation. Yeah. yeah, and and there being is. a lifelong and another thing too, like to answer that question, to be a lifelong learner. We talked about it before this. Like mm-hmm. we talked about yesterday, like yeah. about this, and I just say, hey, bro, I'm like super excited to do this because I love podcasts. My wife. God bless her. She got me into podcasts like a year ago. Yeah, All like, I'd ever do is listen to like music and it just got so boring. It, oh, yeah. And then she's like, why don't really. you try this out? And you would think me, I do social media. I do this stuff, but I never got in a podcast and she got me into a pod. She said, listen to this. And I'm like, you mean it, like all these podcasts are on my phone? And ever since then, I'm like a heroin are you junkie. Fucking 80? I'm like I'm like slamming podcasts in my veins. Like every day I listen oh, to nonstop podcasts. Fully relate, and she gets so pissed because I get like so in the zone. But for me, whether it's law enforcement, I like I read legal briefs, I case law, like just all the nuances to policing and right. stuff. I'm like really into that because if you're not learning and you just shut yourself out, like ah, what I did ten years ago is cool. Well, what you did ten years ago will get you fired. Yeah, uh, or dead. Yeah. So yeah. like you gotta you gotta be able to do that. So yeah, I was I was really surprised when you guys reached out after listening to mine. Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, "I'm like, I, was, I don't know why it took me back, but it totally took me back." So, no, it was phenomenal. Anyway. I did tell her that I fucked myself because I did tell her that I would go into the classroom. <laughs> so I'm like, "Damn!" It. <laughs> <laughs> she caught me in moment of weakness. She pulled me up, and I said, "Yes." Like, damn it, why did I do that? Yeah. And then you know, with 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 the wife, like, how do you transition from you know that stuff to, to you know the husband? Uh, and I can tell you. Um, it's probably because she's a lot more awesome than you are, but yeah. And and I can tell you, you know, to be to be straight up, you know, I I suffered very bad from PTSD after some um, scenarios where I had a partner that was killed and just a lot of dangerous stuff we were doing. And um, for people that don't realize, you know, there's you know times where I was up all night, couldn't sleep, and you know, she, as a wife of a of somebody who has PTSD, like whether it's military or whatever, like for months on end, like it was a very difficult time for us and. I didn't know what was going to happen to me um, as, as far as what I continued on this career path because I was just getting eaten up. Um, but the one thing I did learn was physical fitness and and just my resolve in life um, to being kicked down in athletics and punishing yourself. Yeah, physically. I might not be getting, uh, you know, I wasn't sleeping good and life sucked. But uh, there was always that little light at the end of the tunnel. I could just see a little bit of it. And I might have got one hour of sleep that night because just tossed and turned and. Um, but I got through it and getting through it made me a lot stronger. So I think us as a family now, especially my wife, like we're good. Like, like she never, like there was years, like two, three, four, five years where we suffered with all the stuff. And for a spouse, you know, she's in it with me every single day because I'm coming home and I'm totally distraught and I have to connect with her when, when I'm at, it's two 30 in the morning and I haven't slept yet and she's sound asleep and I'm just like. I need somebody to talk to and I can't do this anymore. And, you know, we talk about it and she, she comforts me. So a lot of people don't understand what a, 
a spouse of a police officer, whether it's a husband or wife, whoever that that significant other is, it's it's like no other. Probably just like a firefighter as well, because you guys aren't home at night. So there's so many different. You know, I'm gonna say your job's a lot harder than ours for sure. Yeah, but you, but you guys aren't home at well. Now take it if I'm working graveyard shift. But yeah, yeah. it was difficult. So I'm good now. I I don't think I've ever been mentally stronger, um, physically stronger, and I've I've learned a lot, and it's just from life learning and stuff. And I'm good. And if um, you know who's I could get faced in a in a really bad situation that yeah. sets sets PTSD back. But if you look at it, law enforcement, 20 percent of officers have um, had it or report having PTSD right now. So that's a that's a big thing, and and they're great. Our agencies now they they give us all the resources to take advantage of it. But how you know, did you get through it? Just I, I used the resources. Um, I did all that. So counselors. But for me, and it sounds crazy, I, counselors. You know, my wife. But I literally would go to the gym and just wreck I, yourself. I would just try to destroy myself. Like that's common through dude. workouts that would literally with zero sleep. You know, it was like I was like going through bud school or something yeah. like I literally didn't sleep for, you know, sometimes a week and I would go run 10 miles, 20 miles, like just destroy my body because I felt like I had to destroy my body to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I um, the biggest thing was, is I read a book and it was just basically the power of the subconscious mind, because when you have no answers in life and you just can't sleep and you're in all those things. I just read this book and it just clicked and it said like, hey, man, your mind's stronger than anything. Um, if you slept good at one point in your life, you can sleep good again. You can have all the positive thoughts. You can be a healthy human being. And for me, that's what got me through this. I read this book about the mind and um, it helped me out. But, you know, we suffer from it in law enforcement. And so many people, I've seen so many people in my career path walk away, PTSD, um, take medical retirements. And you just know the event that just totally destroyed them. And it might have been a, a shooting, a, dr- a shooting, something like that. But then again, um, when you see 28 drownings and 78 suicides and 28 fatal car wrecks, it's just all that culmination. And it might happen at year 13, and then you go through a divorce. And it's right there. And you know when that person's different. And you see it, and you're like, hey, bro, or, or hey, Jessica, like something's not right. And they just withdraw from everybody, mm-hmm. maybe gain a bunch of weight, stop working out, and... It's just sad when you see it and you try to get them on the same path, but sometimes you just can't. We can't do it for them. No, you can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You know, they, no, it's cumulative and it's the buildup and yeah. it's all that, everything you're talking yeah, so, about. Like everybody has a different journey too. Like, you know, they, they just can't. Yeah. So for, for you sitting in the cubicle in the office and you hate cops, when you had a bad day because your boss said... My TPS reports were doing. Your work in. product was uh, <laughs> subpar. Think about all the bad things you could really see every single day. And you're working shift work, and you're making less money, and you're eating fast food, and someone bit you and spit on you today. What do you say to those people that say, well, it's your choice, man? Have some fucking empathy. That's what I'd yeah, say. Yeah, have some yeah. empathy. Just walk in my shoes. Listen. And, 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 and I'm here. If there is a bad cop out there, I want you away from my profession ASAP. I don't want you on my force. We don't want you because we're out there. Um, to, to do right, to help society. Um, now, do we get jaded and calloused as we age? I think so. Well, it's, that's it, normal. It just, but but we, we do that because you have to... If you took every single scenario as the normal human being and processed it, you wouldn't be able to get through the job. So if you go to a, a police officer briefing, there's a lot of ribbing and joking and making fun of the people. Like That's like 
the nature of it, just like being firefighters, because you guys see shitty yeah, we stuff. Have some fucking morbid sense of yeah. humor. For yeah, sure. like you have. If, if a normal person actually went in there, like when you have a ride along, because our briefings are one hundred percent different when you have a ride along. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and just like, just like when you have somebody come in the firehouse, but. Yeah. It's and that's how we deal with it. It's just like the military deals with their shit. Like, it's part of the coping mechanism. You have to, sure. and and the more you know that, that and you can tell true love. Like um, the more you rip on somebody, they really love you. Oh yeah, yeah. So if you get teased a lot, that means they really love we you. We tell people all the time when we stop fucking talking to you, that's <laughs> when you should worry. Absolutely. Sure. Like well, and I think to be fucking my friend, you have to be. You have to have good self esteem because if not, you might commit suicide for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 definitely gonna take some shit, but yeah, for us, like like the um, like the like the first three minutes of the call in that little glass bubble, that's our time to to, to get out whatever we got to get out, and then that then that five or six minute ride or ten minute ride back to the station, that's that's the other time for us to get our stuff out for sure. Yeah, and and that shit is it actually means something. So, but yeah, you guys do a fucking thankless job, and I don't know how how. If it, if for me, I'd be like I talked to a cop not too long ago that's at the at the police uh, training academy, and she's like fucking twenty, and I'm fucking out of this place. Yeah. So and and she said it, her her career pretty much has been exponentially better when she got out of whatever she was doing and started teaching. Yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. I, yeah, because how could you be a B cop for twenty fucking years? Yeah. And and the B, and I I find myself when I see it, it seems like the patrol guys are the I hate to say it, not to, they're the most negative um, because they see the worst things every single day. They deal with the worst part of society for as far as twenty fucking years. Twenty years, but you think about it. They're in a they're in a ballistic vest that's hot as hell. They're wearing a gun belt. They're they might be in a, a trap polyester clothes. Yeah, and they're they're directing <laughs> traffic in a in 110 degree heat. Oh, it just fuck that, dude. if you're working day shift, it's horrible. If you're working nights, you're not sleeping. It's horrible too. Yeah, so yeah, so that's why the one thing I do. S- think about law enforcement it's, it's super cool and fd has maybe a little bit because um, we get a break like like you guys are consecutive right you're you're four days in a row five days yeah. in a row six days in a row like we get every Breaks. day is a friday for us you know party on friday and then you're off saturday sunday and then you come, but, come but, back but i think for friday. us though we have as far as career paths like you guys could do the academy you could do tlo you could you could break it up a little bit but for us we could be a patrol cop you could be a narc narcotics cop um i had a i had a canine for five or six years working dope um, you could be a school resource officer. You could be a public information officer. So in our career path, you could go 20 different ways. So when these patrol guys are sitting here complaining, it's like, bro, you could go else. do so many different things. And An but, SRO would suck. But, but I'll tell you what job, it is. Dude. I'll tell you what it is, too. Being that patrol cop, you hate your job, but there's no more adrenaline than when you get that hot call and someone's been stabbed and you're going, you know, Code three. Code three as fast as you can, and you don't know what you're walking into. And and some people live and die on that stuff and literally live and die on that stuff. But, you know, you tell them because you see the guys and after shift or during shift or briefing and they're just just angry at the world. And you're like, hey, bro, man, take a break. Come over to detectives. And you try to talk him or her into it. And they're like, no, I, 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 I don't want I can never do that. It's boring. I'm like, hey. It's sanity too, though, you right. know, and you might need some of that right now. So yeah, I, I don't. There's no way that I could be a patrol cop for fucking twenty years. And like the the whole school SRO thing, I wouldn't want to be that guy either. That yeah. that'd be too boring. Yeah, you'd I mean, want to do narcotics, right? I would. Uh, yeah, if if uh, when I get my twenty here, if you have a program from from 
from blue to uh, plain clothes, I'm in. There you go. <laughs> that would be <laughs> that'd be much better. We have, once in a blue moon, we'll we'll get a firefighter. We've I think uh, since I've been there over 20 years, we've we've hired probably 10 uh, guys that were firefighters. They did 20 years and then they come over to PD. What do they do there? Just fucking no patrol guys shouldn't do nothing all day. I know one of them. <laughs> Oh yeah, you do. I know one of them. Yeah, really? He's, he's a funny guy. Oh yeah, he's a funny guy. <laughs> out of his mind. Yeah, <laughs> he's fucking. And they hired uh-huh. him. Oh yeah. How did he pass the background test? Uh, he left. He left here. Uh, he left us after twenty, a little over twenty. Right. Mm-hmm. And but I can tell you this: we've had far more police officers after two or three years. They test FD and they leave. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've probably lost twice as many as we've gained. So PD to FD, yep. but. Um, yeah, I think what happens too. A lot of guys um, go for they go for FD, and FD's just your numbers are smaller. It's harder to get on. Yeah, and after like two or three years, they're like, "Screw it, I'll just be a cop." I didn't realize the the PD hires that many more guys than than, than fire. Oh yeah, they're constantly hiring yeah. and constantly training. Really? Yeah, yeah, and they have so staggered classes. So a class starts, and then another class will start four weeks later. Yeah, and there'll be this 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 continuous cycle of congruent classes running. That's true, like the military. Yeah, like that's how basic training yeah. runs or whatever. It's de- definitely different for us. Yeah, but no, it's been a super inter- interesting career path. Uh, I've never changed anything, um, and I do think for for me personally, just. You know, if I had done over 20 years in patrol right now, I would be retired. I would wouldn't even be here in an official capacity. You know, like because it just yeah, it's difficult. No way. Yeah, you know, for sure. just just like recently doing some of the the protest stuff and yeah, tell us about that because you got drugged into that stuff because it sounds yeah, like, like so like luckily I, I got to do I got to do plain clothes stuff and do you ever put on a fucking uniform <laughs> when you go to court? No, you probably no. put on a uniform. Yeah, suit, court. Or, um, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, do you even have a uniform? I anymore? do, and I, 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 the, the sad the sad thing is usually um, my class day. The only time I wear it is a funeral, right, right. so that sucks. And um, yeah, the last time I was in like a patrol uniform. Now, when we go do our execution of ba- arrest bad guys, like I have a tack vest, throw that on. That's or, not a real uniform. I know, I know, on, but dude. hey, it says I'm talking police. about this shit. Where, where yeah, you know, no, I don't. Yeah. I haven't worn one of those in over twenty years. So holy shit, yeah. So it's pretty cool. So like what I'm wearing right now. You know, I, like, I wear that to work so I can grow a beard, grow a goatee, whatever I want. So, so like I said, I'm like incognito. So it doesn't yeah. even, sometimes I'm like, man, I'm cheating the system. I'm not really even a cop. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I got a question. Sure. Is doing human trafficking that actually right now, whether it's adults, kids, whatever, that's actually less stressful at this point of your career than doing the other stuff? Uh, for, for me, um, I was when I got the opportunity about nine years ago to work human trafficking full time on this task force. Um, I jumped at it because I had done dope for a lot of my career, and um, and they're intertwined too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, unfortunately, girls that are prostituting themselves or they're being trafficked, I would say the vast majority of them um, use some sort of illicit drugs, yeah, whether right. it's pills yeah, or. Yeah meth, uh, heroin, stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's safer cause it, you know, we deal with a lot of traffickers and pimps that are career gangsters and they have weapons and stuff, but the dope game game when you're, you know, you're doing a, a search warrant on a dope house or, 
um, a vehicle showing up with 10 pounds of meth or whatever, and you're, you're blocking the vehicle in it's, you know, it's the funnest thing. Like I, I can't even tell you how many crazy scenarios from, you know, doing search warrants on houses and people jumping out of second, third story windows and, um, getting in foot pursuits, uh, you know, ramming, you know, blocking vehicles in all that dope stuff. And we do it in, that's the fun shit, right? Oh yeah. Like yeah. I've got to do so many insane things and what we, what we <laughs> what's could the, what's the, finish your thought, but top three insane, keep going. Um, yeah, just, uh, but what we could do, like as far as pursuits and how we did those things, cause I can just tell you this. I remember 2001 was when I went to the full-time dope squad. And I think the first, first date, the first week I was there, we probably personally served, you know, 12, dope warrants on dope houses in our city, just kicking doors in and stuff. And for the first two or three years, I'll probably served two or 300 warrants, just kicking doors in. And you walk into somebody's house and, you know, you see the craziest things. Um, and what, what we could do then, we can't do that now because we literally have to have a threat assessment. We have to look at so many different variables. And, oh, yeah, and now... Um, because of liability, um, and we do, we do knock and announce, um, we, you know, search warrant, police department, we do all that stuff. But now, um, pretty much SWAT hits the vast majority of everything. And when SWAT hits it now, they used to do dynamic entries, hit the door with a Ram, go in like we would do, but they did it like we would do, but they were more professional. They had better equipment. Now I essentially what happens in law enforcement, um, unless it's, there's a hostage or there's a lot of different scenarios, but for the most part, if it's a, if it's a dope house, you're literally going to have a, a, maybe a SWAT team show up in a, in an armored vehicle. They're going to do and get on the bullhorn. This is the police department. Come out with your hands up. All the bad guys are going to try to flush the dope. We're going to put a drone up in the air. We're going to make sure nobody's running, but essentially we're going to wait them out and we're not going to create any type of exigency. So, you know, just yeah, like, the whole no knock policy, like what I mean, that I was like, eh, I mean, I get it, but it's yeah, it, and it's but, something that we it was used in the past. And I can tell you now with, you know, we have legal advisors at our police department and every single search warrant that you do has to go through a process um, and no knock warrants are kind of a thing of the past now. So, uh, so the ones that are hanging around are like smaller departments, maybe stuck in the stone. Yeah. And, and I like can't that. talk, you know, and that's the thing, like, um, maybe we should to t- t- truthfully, maybe, maybe we should nationalize, um, policies and procedures for police departments. Um, and that might, that might help us out because what other we have right on, like, like on some stuff. <clears throat> well, I mean, yeah, that's what, that's what, you know, four person staffing will, uh, yeah, there's certain recommendations that yeah, come out, but of, not uh, hard and fast. Well, they they are recommendations, but they become they come become standard because everybody follows them. Gotcha. Yeah, because I can tell you probably what the cop does in um, courtside, the probably marshal or whatever in courtside Arizona does if there's a search warrant, and it's probably going to be like DPS or somebody that executes that search warrant versus what we do in we in Scottsdale or Phoenix or Tempe or Chandler or wherever. Um, it's going to be different. Everybody's going to do things differently. Um, and if you're an agency of four people, you're not even going to have any policies, procedures on doing that search warrant. It's like, hey, Billy Bob, grab your, <laughs> grab your gun. Let's go kick like, you know, and, and bad things can happen. And hopefully if you've trained for it, you've prepared for it, you have a threat assessment, you know that the guy that you're going after, you 
conducted a criminal history. Uh, he's been arrested 38 times, and uh, 28 of those were violent crimes, and he's known to possess uh, automatic weapons. How so, many hours of work do you think go into actually creating one of those warrants, just on average? Oh, it's, uh, well, it depends on the totality of the circumstances, like if it's a long-term thing. But let's just say... Just uh, on average. You think uh, they spend 40 hours put, you know, putting a warrant uh, together? I have an informant goes into a dope house, makes a dope buy from Brandon that lives at 10 West Oak Street. You walk through. How do you know my address? Bro? Yeah, yeah. And we walk out and maybe we're like, okay, that's a dope house. We're going to write a search warrant. Like that could be fast. That could be within five hours. We could be, the search warrant could be okay. written. We could be in there. Um, but there's a lot more, there's things that we do that are far more complex. Um, and, and each one of those has related. boundaries, right? Yeah. Oh, they all have boundaries. Yep. We have like you know, a rules of engagement type boundary or oh, what they can, what, what you're there to do, right? Scope. Yeah. yeah. Our yeah, scope. Yeah. Like, what are we looking for? What's our wish list? Like, what am I just looking for methamphetamine? Am I looking for weapons? Um, you can have what we call an, I know section of the affidavit and the search warrant where I basically say, I know that drug dealers typically have scales and they have, okay. Paraphernalia. So there's some assumptions. Yeah. So and, and you have this wish list of what you can search for. So I just can't go in your house and be like, well, I'm taking this big screen TV too with me because I know that he's a dope <laughs> dealer and he bought it. You know, like yeah. you, you got to articulate all this stuff. And I need a 4K TV. In my yeah. House. So um, <laughs> those are the things that um, you their know. job is a lot more complicated. Oh, than trust fire. me. And, and I'll tell you, you, tell well, you. So it ha- what it has to do, Brandon, and my from my perspective, and been, having been around plenty of officers yeah. and done this kind of st- been around them, is when you have a job that where part of your job <laughs> is is shooting, taking people. somebody's <laughs> constitutional rights. Yeah. In, in this country, then the scrutiny man falls on them big time, and, and right, wrong, or indifferent, yeah. it, it it absolutely and it, does. And it's getting it's getting to the point now where it's. It's just so hard to, to do any of it. So, and I'm not saying like I want transparency. I want all this stuff, but you know, um, our proactive nature as police officers, I would say, over the last five years, a lot of cops, um, patrol guys, they just sit there and wait to get dispatched to a call. Whereas those were good cops back in the day, and they would be looking for guys selling drugs, guys, and we still have them out there. But a lot of guys, especially that guy that's been out for 18 years, he's like. I'm not just going to pull anybody over because I'm going to be accused. Two more of, years, bro. I'm going to be accused of this or that, and I don't want to complain. And you know, the, so you I know. want you guys to be able to fucking go home at night. That's what I want. And like, whatever has to happen for that to fucking happen, that's what I want. Yeah. And yeah. or they're going to be like, hey, I'm not going to use any force. I'm going to wait till I get punched first, or I'm going to wait till Fuck this that. happens to me because I know that. This person is this, and I'm this, and if I do this, it's going to look like that. And but some of these, <clears> like we're all built differently, but some of these cops don't have the physical prowess or ability to take the first punch. Oh no, absolutely not. Yeah, like fucking that. It's donezo <laughs> yeah, after like, that, right? And 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 you know, you should you should look at who you're looking at. If I look at a guy and and you're pretty 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 uh, pretty confident that he's like jujitsu and he's got cauliflower ears, he's a wrestler. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you better start thinking about it because if. You go if you go straight to hands on with this guy, <laughs> right. and he's wearing like a jujitsu shirt. Oh, yeah. You're sol because yeah. you're gonna get your ass kicked. Might be a Unless, short day for you. <laughs> there's a few cops that we have that train ground fighting all the time. They suck. They come to the place I yeah, go to. But, they're, they're but yeah, but yeah, but compared to like a, a mixed martial arts guy or somebody oh, yeah. who practices all the yeah, time, that knows how to actually yeah, like that knows distance, and knows how to punch, and knows so, how to kick. And those are the things like people 
with a knife. Why didn't Why didn't you shoot the knife at his hand? Why did you shoot him? <laughs> People don't understand. Like, why did you shoot the knife? We, at we his have hand. like a twenty one foot rule, and I love when we teach to citizens. You can and close that gap quick. You can close the gap, uh-huh. and I'll give a I'll give the citizen uh, a fake gun. We call it a red gun or whatever. Um, and I'll say, okay, here's your gun. I'm gonna put it in a holster. And I give them like a holster. I put it in their pocket. And then I have a knife. And I'm like, okay. And I walk off 21 feet. And I said, are you ready? And back in the day before I had all these knee surgeries, I was actually pretty fast. And you're never fast. Oh, <laughs> don't forget me. You had a hard head. But I, I don't know how many people that, um, you know, I sprint. And I literally get there. And they're literally pulling the gun out. And it's like right here. And I have the knife to their neck. And they're just like. And they're like, I've Game had over. people like literally fall over. And they're so scared. And they're like. And everybody in the crowd's like, oh my gosh. I'm like, yeah, that's what somebody can do with a knife. And people don't consider that. Like, they literally, they watch movies and they also think that, like, when I shoot somebody, they're going to fly 12 feet back. <laughs> no. They don't realize we shoot to stop the threat. Yeah. We don't just shoot one time. We shoot to put them down. Yeah, we, yeah. we shoot to stop the threat. And if, I, and if I shot five times, I shot five times, but I'm shooting to stop the threat. What about Chinese stars? <laughs> Because that Chinese stars, would, I've seized them. <laughs> would those be more effective? Chinese stars, you can throw those. Right, blow darts. Yeah, I can throw those twenty-one feet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and like and like we've talked about it before, the average person just doesn't understand. They don't. And, and 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 to your point, like I think males need to be introduced to some type of violence in their childhood, whether yeah. it be wrestling, jujitsu, yep. something like that. Because if you've never ever experienced nope. that there, there there's a chance you might have to in, in a real life situation with your family or friends or something like that and if you don't understand that like it's just it's one of those things i think inherently a whatever call me a fucking whatever you want to call me like that men need to know and understand and actually you know do even if it's just for you know three months something like that i agree yeah it's uh yeah if uh if people only knew all the stuff that existed out there and, and what could hurt you and what could kill you. Could you imagine if they put a daily brief out of all the bad things that happened in, in, in Maricopa County every day? Yeah. People oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. scared well, as fuck. All, I know that all the law enforcement agencies do provide a daily brief. Do they? Oh, yeah, because that's how, that's how they keep the elected body informed. That's how they keep... Uh, um, exe- the executive level of the organization and form. So, yeah, many, many of them do. I wonder if they put it on social media every day. I'd read that fucker. No. Like, what, yeah. like you're talking like what people got arrested for or what happened to cops? Period. Anything. All yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it would be... Uh, like, all that stuff. Because, you know... You, you well, know, they do have, like, a daily blotter type thing. Uh, I think... Uh, well, some places do. I, can, yeah. I know, I know well, that. Well, because you but, talk about transparency and empathy. You put something out... Yeah. Uh, 60, yeah. yeah. 60,000 times a year, a police officer is assaulted. You right. get sick and tired of reading yeah. it in the valley because it's so freaking yeah. long. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that too. But, I mean, yeah, but it might actually open up some people's eyes. Yeah. And then... Um, you know, and, and even if you weren't assaulted, all the times where, you know, you were threatened to be assaulted, but finally that whatever force continuum or whatever the suspect put the knife down eventually. But yeah, it's a perpetual cortisol release in your body oh, yeah. is wreaks havoc. On I, I, I so like that name force continuum because because every time he says it all it makes you think of is the space time continuum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I keep I keep looking at <laughs> I keep looking at the axe and the hatch like. <laughs> You know, you look at that stuff, and for some people, that would not represent a scenario where someone should be shot. 
you know, like right. someone yeah, wielding, wielding an axe. That, yeah. 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 Shoot it out of their hands. Shoot their knees. <laughs> that is so fucking crazy. Like he only had an axe. Yeah. He only he had only, a hatchet. Only an axe. <laughs> like, so I, I need to take one hit to the head with an axe. To, I, yeah, I, I would. Well, I mean, because because my deal is, is like whatever you have, I want to go fucking home. And if I don't think a taser's going to do it with this 250 pound savage, I'm pulling the fucking sidearm for sure. Like I just, I, but I don't know any of the rules. But it's like, hey, at the end of the day, I want to go home to my family and do that shit. And for some, well, I mean, you and I talked about that call we were on that kind of got a little goofy, and I ended up writing that email to that yeah. commander or something. Uh-huh. I'm like, dude, these guys are the fucking greatest dudes ever. A couple, uh, it was just, it, it was did a, a great job. It was a domestic violence thing. Got escalated. I got hot on the radio. Uh, two two plainclothes dudes showed up with a patrol guy. But how they handled it, attacked me and stuff like that, I was like, dude, they're fucking on point. I was like, God damn, thank God for these guys. Because, you know, we're out there in T-shirts. Yeah. And like, and this guy keeps walking back to his car. He's, you know, fumble fucking around, like inside his jacket. And he, was a, and he was a violent criminal. He was, yeah. After they looked it all up, he was. So I'm like, man. But, like, but I, and I think, but obviously the lens that you guys are coming from and you're coming, public safety, like, you're already used to that, but I think somebody else might, under a different lens, look at that, and they might have said, hey, that was excessive force. And, well, I, I don't even yeah, know what happened, right. but I'm just saying... And they do. Everybody's right? lens yeah. is different, and, and I get it. Like, I get why I get why my daughter's upset when she sees those things, because I can't, I can't explain them. I can't say it's right, because I know it's wrong. Um, all I can say is, yes, but there's a lot of... There's tons. The vast majority of us are good, and... You know, when we make a split second decision and I don't want to harp on a race thing, like we go after individuals that are are committing crimes and we get dispatched to those for the vast majority of the time. So I can't control if the person's white, black, Hispanic, um, if they're 50 years old or 30 years old, if they're male or female, like we get called to those areas and we're put in that scenario. Now, as law enforcement, we might F it up if it's a 55 year old um, white female. Um but if we mess it up when it's a different demographics, it's going to be something that may, may be more newsworthy, which I don't like that because I think it cast us under a certain light, which is absolutely everybody yells and screams about racism. And, and I get it. Like, I'm the last person that wants to see that. But when you do that, that's exactly what you're doing to law enforcement. And like I said, you need to have empathy. You need to walk in our shoes because we're not all like that. And if you think that, why don't you go talk to a cop? Because I guarantee you, that person probably has a family. That person, he goes out there every single day. And if you were bleeding on the ground, that person would put a tourniquet on you. And he would shield, he would shield your life with bullets yep. and try to save you. Absolutely. And he would die for you. And you want to spit on him. And you think he's a piece of whatever. And you think he's a racist pig. And there might be a scenario in a country that exists that that happened and has happened. And obviously has happened in the past. But I can tell you. It's so far few in between and for you to cast a stone and for you to, you know, just, sh- you know, just write you, it off, write, write it off. And, and, and it's easy to do. And, and when you do that, you're you're not do you're doing a disservice to yourself. Um, intellectually, educate yourself and figure out what we're really about and figure out that when that decision was made, maybe the decision was made because the cops, a bonehead and made a horrible decision. And it, the person was who the person was. And it. Um, you know, and, and the one thing I will say too, um, when we use force, bad things usually happen. Somebody goes to jail. There's maybe somebody's injured, but that's one thing I always stress for anybody. If people just complied and listened to the scenario, Mm -hmm. but when 
I contact somebody and somebody's like, F you, I'm not under arrest. Screw you. You don't have any authority. I'm like, listen, sir, like I'm, you're technically under arrest for child prostitution. Um, you're, let me turn your, put your hands behind your back. And he doesn't want to do it. Like, then I got to use force. I don't want to use force. And then we got to start doing the do si do. Like, what level <laughs> force do I use? Okay, how big is he? Is he on drugs? Okay, he could probably kick my ass. So I might need to up it a little bit. Do I have two people with me? Do I have one person? Three people are going to film it. And, you know, but if everybody complied, you wouldn't have cops hurting people. You wouldn't have cops killing people. Um, and, and look back and, and see what led to that scenario. But nobody wants to do that. They just want to. Cops are racist pigs. Cops are horrible. Cops are stormtroopers. Yeah. Well, well, for me, too, I'd rather ratchet down my Absolutely. force than ratchet it up. Absolutely. Because there's a split second that if you don't ratchet it up, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 or you get put in a position where now you don't have the advantage. And, and, and to get out of that position, it's going to take a Herculean effort. Like, yeah, no, I fucking, I for sure get that. Well, well how did the protest go? Peaceful. It was actually really, really cool to see in the city that I work in. I never thought we'd see protests like that, but it just shows you like we've evolved. And I know it's a it's a big issue. Uh, It's a huge issue for the country right now. And hopefully we address it. And however we address it, I hope we do it right. And I hope we can make the country stronger. But, um, you know, was it more of a a unified thing? Like, like, did you get to talk to the citizens? Like, did you? uh, Me personally, no, because I was in like a plain clothes capacity plain closed capacity but we had command level people um and officers uh, meet and actually walk with the group Mm -hmm. i can tell you like you know they they said they addressed stuff and i hope they did um but i just know like in a plain closed capacity when i was nearby or driving by but these same protesters were just blatantly hurtling anti-law enforcement slogans and during the whole way when we, they were, our guys were walking with them and stuff. And I, I just thought that was unprofessional. But, yeah, sure. you know, they were just totally judging that a police officer can never change, that all police officers are this. And we represent one thing that is authority and hurting people and hating people. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's we're, we're human. Co- we're just human beings. We just put on the uniform. Once we take that uniform off, yeah, we're just a human else. being. So. Well, what a no another novel idea that you actually have to have people that help enforce the laws and keep things safe. That's a weird fucking concept. Like, why would you ever fucking want that? Yeah. So yeah. like all the stuff, I mean, I'm sure that you saw yesterday, all the stuff that, uh, Seattle, right? Where they, I heard briefly about some sort of, uh, so they walked no away from police zones or yeah. Well, yeah. So they, so they walked away from a precinct in, in Seattle, the chief of the police department was very vocal saying, this wasn't what we wanted to do. This is this is driven by uh, the mayor or whoever the fuck it was. And, body. Yeah, and 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 the fact that they were responding out of fear to do it, and they kind of took over that that area. And what the hell did they call it? the autonomous zone? I, I actually don't know. Yeah, it, it was so they like they that. left the police department. Yeah, they the, so they left there. the police department for citizens. Yeah, to do whatever they want. Yeah, so they boarded up, did it, and then and then across the top where it says Seattle Police Department. They had spray painted Seattle People's Department and like all this fuck. They just literally walked the fuck away and, from the whole and, thing. And so when I hear that and I, I, someone told me, like, I think my one of my kids or somebody told me about it and I just, I, I didn't really process it. I didn't, I didn't educate myself on it. I yeah, should have. Yeah. But um, what I can say to that is God help the people in that community. That's what I said. Because like, all you're man. doing is you just literally created... Um, 
You know, you created a zone. Well, it's where, anarchy. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, anarchy crimes. Yeah. So what's going to happen when um, someone's being uh, assaulted or whatever? Like, and, and you're literally ripping the heart and soul away from these officers and mm-hmm. they don't want to go into those areas anymore. And, and that's why we've had such an uptick in, in Chicago and Baltimore and, and a lot of these inner city areas like cops have. They don't respond to those areas um, because they don't and they're not proactive in those areas. So the communities losing their community and you have so many wonderful people that live in those communities that love us. They love us to death. And when we walk away from that, it, you know, it's like it's like when the cartels in Mexico take over, you, there's no law and order and the. The criminals are running. The criminals are running the community, and that's what's happened in a lot of these areas. And unfortunately, in Seattle, I, I would just and I've been to Seattle personally, professionally. I've I've done stuff there personally. I've been there, and you have these, um, you have these uh, essentially areas where you can shoot up drugs. They provide clean needles and all this stuff. Um, I would just say that you're just creating um, an addiction level, and to supply that addiction, you're going to have to commit some sort of crimes. Um, so you're either going to have to do burglaries, maybe some robberies, sell some more drugs. If you're a female, you're probably going to have to maybe do prostitution. So I, I don't see where this goes. I don't see anything positive with it. But to walk away from those zones, that sounds... Well, it didn't take long because I, I, I saw a video yesterday short, shortly after it. Some guy drove one of his... Just a normal guy. I, I'm assuming a normal guy drove his car down one of the streets and they tried to pull him out of the car, like forcibly pull him out of the car and what, what, whatever they're going to do to him. It was, it was a Hispanic guy and he fucking killed somebody. Yeah. And then he got out of his car, walked around the car, everybody's kind of scattered. Did, did the cops actually have to come to that or they don't have to go? He went and turned himself in. Um, yeah. This yeah. is, this is right. crazy stuff. And like I said, yeah. we're, we're in such crazy times like right now that um, without police, you literally, like you said, you have anarchy and, and you have such chaos because people don't realize this. There's, I don't want to, I don't know a percentage of society that is bad, but there are bad human beings for whatever reason. They got to a point where they're a bad human being. They could care less about you. They will harm you. They will steal from you. They will kill you. They will do really bad things to you. And if you think um, a counselor or a therapist is going to talk to that person, good luck. Um, and, yeah. but, but what I will say too is um, just, it's just mind numbing to think about taking law enforcement out of those areas because like I said the good people that live there um, the good people will probably move out and then it's just going to be all bad people mm-hmm. so you're creating zones when that, Tifa showed up quickly you know shortly after that and set this up and set that up and I'm like you know like well to me there's you can't when they leave the precinct turn it over or whatever how long is that going to fucking last yeah. like 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 how long are they going to be able to police? What's the their end own? game? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. You can't, you can't turn that off. You can't. They're not just going to walk away peacefully. Oh, okay, and then it, it, no, yeah. it, it it escalates. It. Yeah, like fundamentally, you have to have law and order. Like absolutely, you know. And and that was the the one thing with all these protests and riots and stuff. Um, I think what happened is law enforcement. You know, if you look at it countrywide we had a horrific act of of what law enforcement did to an individual and so with mr they murdered F- a guy murdered a guy absolutely yeah. murdered a guy yeah. and so law enforcement is in a horrible predicament everybody's pissed off at law enforcement so what does law enforcement do law enforcement stands down for the community because they know mm-hmm. if we use force right now it's gonna look really bad and then if you give society a lot of times an inch 
they're going to take a mile and then they're just going to start literally destroying their communities. So for how many days do we have rioting, looting? I'm all for protesting. Go protest. Like what happened? Protest all you want. But when you start harming people, you start ripping people out of cars, you start burning buildings, you start burning precincts, you start stealing iPhones, all that stuff, break, burning a target down. Like that's, that's stuff that you just can't have. And that's where I think when law enforcement ratcheted it back up, established control, and then we went back to peaceful protests. But open up these zones of anarchy. Yeah. I <laughs> well, and, and I think the African American community gets a bad rap for some of that stuff because I do think there's a lot of opportunists or, or, or Antifa or stuff like that that are fueling a lot of this shit. And, and they're, oh, yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. Like, so, and like some of those communities are taking the blame for it when they really shouldn't be. Which yeah. Is and I, a fucking bummer. And, and I can tell you from, from our protests in our city, um, Black Lives Matter, um, there was more people that were. Um, you know, white and Hispanic than there were actually African-American in these protests. So it's different segments of society that are protesting, but you're right. right. You have these, you know, middle yuppie middle-class um, young white males. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think most of the violent protesters, if you look at the demographics, it's, it's males and it's males that have never actually been in a, probably a use of force. They've never been in scenarios where they have a lot to, to go and just literally throw bricks and burn stuff. These are just young, angry males that, they weren't in the military. They're not law enforcement. Like they, like to go do that kind of stuff. Like, I just don't see that happening. Like, why would you come from suburbia and just start literally destroying the inner city? Because if if you're worried about systemic racism and how it got to where it's at, you're literally coming into those areas and you're destroying the inner city where the majority of people there are going to be black and brown. And if you're trying to help them, why are you destroying it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, you didn't listen to it, and we, we recorded it a couple of days ago and dropped it quickly or whatever just because it, it needed to be timely. I have a friend who his buddy owns a like an urban gear like clothing store on the second floor of, um, of um, Fashion Square. Square. And when all that shit was going down, like all the looting was going down, he showed up. He's a big guy, like 6'5", 250. He showed up with a Louisville slugger. Nobody fucked with his, like, with his <laughs> store. But the funny thing was what he said, who was there? It was, he said, everybody was real, pretty much in their 20s, 50% white, yeah. 25% black, yeah. 25% Hispanic. Yeah. So it's like, what the fuck are you guys doing there? Like, and, yeah, I don't fucking know. And I don't it. know how that, how does that make this scenario better? I would have loved to take me and 10 of my wrestling, pajama <laughs> wrestling buddies with just a bunch of fucking zip ties and just start zip tying fucking hands and feet and dropping them at the front of a fucking fashion square like Forrest Gump did. But and just like, here they are. But, but you're the, ready for them. But, you know what, but then if you did that, you would have been deemed racist. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. yeah. I make sure they're all white kids. Though. <laughs> <laughs> no, it may not matter. Yeah. It's fucking. Yeah. Like to me, I'm like, that is fucking crazy. But man. those are the times we're in and. I don't know, man. I don't know where we go. All I know is... Well, how do you guys get better? It sounds like a lot of the things they're screaming for, especially in your agency, I like saying that too, um, there, there is the oversight, there is that oh, transparency, yes. stuff like that. Like, like, how much more can you guys do? Um, and I think what's going to happen, though, and, I, and I've seen this, is we're hiring, we're hiring police officers that have levels of empathy that are off the charts, that are wonderful, but when they're placed in a scenario where they need to use force, then they can't use any force because they've never faced real life scenarios where they need to do that. Or they just, they, they can't judge a scenario that might be dangerous. So like I said, picking a perfect, picking a perfect police officer, just like a fire, like it's hard to do it. I think it's easier for a firefighter because you're 
here's a hose, you know, here's, here's somebody, yeah. use the, use the um, jaws of life, rip somebody yeah. out, give them administered aid. But for a police officer, you have to be a therapist, you have to be a teacher, you have to be a counselor, you have to be a, a jujitsu expert, you have to be <laughs> all these different things in one human being. And inherently, it's impossible to really do. You have some, and I, I can think of plenty of them that you're just like, this guy's dialed in and he can, any scenario, he's going to he's going to adapt and he can overcome, but that's 5%, right? Yeah. That's, and, but then you can look at some other officers and they're very young. Maybe they, they were a barista at Starbucks, but they've never <laughs> been in trouble and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, God help them when yeah, something bad and, and they're just, you know, but it, like I said, when you have to fill 700,000 positions annually across the country, you're never going to be perfect. You're going to screw it up. And when someone grabs that cell phone and they, they uh, put it out on social media and the news gets a hold of it and it's a cop doing something bad, we're screwed. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. Right. Um, That's fair. But even with those factions in our government, you see what's going on in our country. It's the same results. We have protests and riots. So that doesn't matter our political climate. So I think as a country, we need to come together and, and decide, like, I, I don't know, what does the future of law enforcement look like? And I think... It has to be body-worn cameras. It has to be transparency. But mm-hmm. in, we got to get together, and we got to get people in neighborhoods, in communities to come together and say, what do you want from us? Because yeah. it's, it's an impossible job to do. And if this is what you want, if you want a crime-free area, there's your crime-free area, and we'll enforce everything outside of that. But right. I don't know. It's, it's a changing times, and it's a changing world. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any fucking good answers for... for but the community for has... Uh, unreal expectations of the law enforcement, uh, then there's a problem. Then there's got to be some kind of adjustment between the, what the community desires and what law enforcement can actually provide. And that's it's, it's a significant challenge because they do want law enforcement to be everything yeah. to everybody. And, and, and should, should law enforcement come out to your noise complaint? And some larger agencies will not respond to some of the stuff that smaller ones will or a mid, medium-sized agency but like noise complaints? Yeah, noise complaints. I, I know. Either. Yeah. <laughs> like from noise to from noise complaints to barking dogs to someone looks suspicious in the park, like maybe there's a time and point where we got to decide like what do we send officers out to because we're asked to do everything. We've uh, we're asked to go literally investigate if somebody has ghosts in their house, like just mental illness problems, like right. stuff that's just off the charts that you would think you never send an officer out to. We send officers out there. We send officers out to a five-year-old who threw a rock at a car like we're asked to solve neighborhood disputes we're asked to solve um divorce decrees and and protective custody orders and life and death situations and a baby that drowned and this and financial stuff it's like god help us because it's impossible because so many times when you're on patrol you're like man like I'll go. I don't know that this is my job, but nobody yeah. else is going to take that job. Yeah, I think we have <laughs> we have some similar thoughts on that. When, yeah, like, when when we get dispatched and stuff too. It's yeah, like, absolutely. Know. FD, you guys take yeah. a lot of stuff that you just like. What am I going to? This yeah. doesn't make any sense. It's and a when PD it, call. How can we're going? And anyway, <laughs> and, and especially when it's it's three o'clock in the morning yeah. and you just got woke up. You're like, why am I going to this? Why do you guys want me to check this guy's cut finger? Come on, man, <laughs> help a brother out. And that's when you guys aren't nice. You guys are worse than PD in the mornings, early I, in the morning. I'm like you. I don't have a lot of highs and lows. I'm fucking just yeah. even. Oh, like, yeah. I've seen some FD guys at three oh, in the morning. Yeah, They're not absolutely. very happy. Yeah, grumpy pants. And that's where the cops yeah. are laughing at it because you're I'll like be laughing at them too. Because yeah. we're like, hey, we're we're getting paid to be here, and you could be sleeping right now. Yeah. You're getting paid, but you could be sleeping. Yeah, like 
oftentimes I don't even engage. Like I just go do the job and, and go from there because you don't have anything. But when it's, it's that junkie that you've dealt with six times in a row every night. I, my <laughs> my feeling for you guys though is I give you guys a fucking shit ton of leeway because I know what your job is. And I don't want to fucking do it. And if I need you fucking guys. I want you to like me. <laughs> I'm mean, like those fuckers on Engine Three. I fucking hate those guys. I'm not gonna go up. Like I want. And, and when I worked downtown for a long time, uh, fire and police they're tight. Oh, absolutely. Because there's not a lot of help yeah. around there for either of us, and oftentimes they were there to help us, and we're in. We and we were there to help them. Like when Dremp shot himself or yeah. shot himself, we were first on scene to that. So I mean, I get all like all, all that shit that like that those guys go through, and I just every time I'm like, fuck that. And, job. It, and it's always a love hate relationship because uh, cops are always bagging on firefighters. Firefighters are always bagging on cops. But I can, I can think of so many different scenarios where we're low on one or two cops and FD rolls up, and I've seen FD you know assist law enforcement, oh, yeah, for sure. physically yeah. hold somebody down and yeah. assist us and. I, I, we all do this. I helped the cop out of getting his ass beat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, FD, yeah. Guys can, FD guys could do more work than we could because they're yeah. bigger, faster, stronger. Because we're not stronger. trained. <laughs> yeah, but and they're, they're bigger, faster, stronger. They're all pumped up, and we're like, half the cops are overweight and obese, sleep deprived. We have plenty of those, too. So, but yeah, I, 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 that's um, the pajama wrestling place I go to. Um, at the time I go to, it's mostly police and fire, so we're constantly yeah. fucking running our mouths about each other and, 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 and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and since I, I since I have a little bit of wrestling background, when I'm when I'm when I'm uh, simulating choking them in my pajamas, I like to talk a little bit of shit to them too because it's fun. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I I I, I don't. I, there for me, there's not one without the other. You have to have both. Yeah, there's no fucking way. Like you have yeah. to have that 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 medical and, side, and you have to have that safety. And what side. I think is amazing is. Um, you know, FD responds to so many different calls, and everybody loves FD. Oh, for but they're, there's they're happy to see us. But yeah, but there's times where FD, I'm sure, is unprofessional. Uh, but you'll Absolutely. never that'll Absolutely. never make the news ever, ev- never make the news. Like I, I can't remember the last time the FD guy did something bad. Seriously, on the no. news, yeah, uh, on yeah. Fox or CNN or any news station. Yeah, and and a lot of times when our guys do bad things that off the job. Yeah. That's not even no, it's televised. Not a, it's not a news story. Yeah, very rarely does it uh, hit the news. In my 30 years, there's been plenty of us on the news. Yeah, but 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 probably not. <laughs> but but probably not as many news. as if there were cops. <laughs> People that I knew on yeah. the news. Oh, yeah. oh, no, no, no. Comparatively, ratio-wise, yeah, oh, no. no yeah, yeah probably 10% of, yeah, yeah. of it. But like so. I said, I think it all comes back to um, we're a... You know, we're here for enforcement and the that a level of authority and it's granted by us by the community and stuff. And when people don't, you know, when people don't think that we're uh, doing the job right and they they don't trust us and stuff and you, you see a lot of this stuff. And I think, you know, we have to do a better job, whatever that is. I know, like I said, I keep harping on transparency, but, you know, we have to do that. But um like I said, we don't we don't come to give people uh, a smiley face on their math test. Unfortunately, you call us, and when we come there, someone's probably going to go to jail. Someone probably hurt themselves. Someone's probably going to try to hurt somebody else, or someone stole from somebody else. And so those are the scenarios we go there, and, and I think it's just a really negative connotation with law enforcement. And so many people, you know, especially if you grew up in an inner-city community with oh, yeah. violence nonstop mm-hmm. and your uncle your grandmother, your cousin, your brother, they all been arrested and you just hate law enforcement and those communities hate us. And I can see why, because 
Um, and maybe community policing, maybe we need to do something way different and outside of the box that we haven't done. Um, the one thing I, you know, like hire guys from that, from, from that neighborhood. Absolutely. You know, if if they, if we can get those guys in, they pass all the qualifications. Absolutely. We need to do that. But I think maybe, maybe we need to do more. And I know we do a lot of it and that never gets out there. Like we volunteer all the time, like, um, Habitat for Humanity, Special Olympics. We do, uh, the YMCA, like we do all these things, um, and that never gets out to the community. All the stuff that cops do, ah, that doesn't catch the headline. Test. Yeah, it's not yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's not a headline test. So, um, but maybe we could do something better um, in the future to really maximize, um, like in Seattle, if if that if they're going to be that, uh, they're just literally taking stuff. Out of, I, I don't know. I can't. That's out of my stratosphere of thinking. But maybe, <laughs> maybe we have, uh, you know. I don't know, just the volunteer levels with cops yeah, and have movies. people actually just ride alongs every day, go ride along with the police department, see what community members, see what we actually do. But we, we need to develop a lot of that. And I agree. Yeah. Well, fuck, we're well over two hours, right? Yeah. You, you want to say anything else? Uh, want to put anything else out there? I would just say, uh, you know, next time you... Next time you see a cop, talk to a cop. and Don't know. be scared of them. Yeah, yeah don't say be scared. Hi. They're not going to arrest you. Yeah, say Unless hi. you broke the law. Yeah, unless you're an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I, th- I think that's, uh, you know. I, I will, for sure, for me, like, because I, I have no problem talking. I actually t- I talk a lot of shit on calls to cops, just like, you know, jokingly. Um, but when I'm not in uniform, a lot of times I don't talk to cops. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an effort to yeah. actually say what's up. Pay it for Like, I know a lot of times, you know, paying it for, we talked about that. I, I do... You know, some stuff like Christmas time. I like to go to inner city communities, buy kids a bunch of toys and stuff. But pay it forward to a cop too. Like if you see a cop, he's at he's at Starbucks or something. Maybe buy know, him a Starbucks. Buy him, you know, and, yeah. and have a have a buy actual dialogue dialogue. <laughs> figure out that he's not a robot. He's not a stormtrooper. He's a human being. He yeah. has a family. He likes donuts. And I know that badge is scary. <laughs> that gun's scary. That uniform's scary. But we're all human beings. And don't ask him if you can hold hold his gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stupid question. Don't ask that question. Yeah, I, that was the the. I think the two or three three biggest things I used to hate being being a young officer in patrol is um, have you arrested anybody today. Um, have you ever killed anybody? Which that's just a horrible question to ask For somebody. Sure, yeah. And um, can I see your handcuffs? And then, you know, the, the handcuff one is I'm like, well, I don't think you really want to see my handcuffs because I put them on really gross people. Gross people, yeah. and sometimes they'd want to see it. I'm like, okay, here you go. No, I, it is a um, it's a really really challenging situation. Um, I'm just happy. I know at least in the environments we work, we 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 work really really well with our with our police mm-hmm. partners. And uh, from either the from the line level stuff to the larger organizational stuff that we do, it's it's pretty nice. And I think it's pretty. Uh, I, th- I think it's pretty common across the valley, and that's 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 a big deal. I I do I do like that support because we are going to go on the on the big things together, mm-hmm. and uh, and everybody's got their response. Uh, their responsibility so um yeah and it it is a thankless job public safety in general is thankless i think the police world is even more thankless you know they own the bulk of that so unfortunately well i just want to say hey mike appreciate it like thanks for coming down dude actually this was actually the the way that i feel in this one is is a lot different than i feel in most like 
I was fascinated by a lot of the shit that you said today. Like, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. You probably did because you spent a lot of time around it. But I'm just fucking amazed at what you guys do and how you do it. And, like, uh, I never thought you were that smart of a guy, but you're a pretty smart guy. (laughs) (laughs) I got hit in the head too many times, maybe smarter. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate you coming down here, man. I appreciate you being frank and honest and showing the emotion and actually, you know, having a opinion about, you know, some of the stuff that's going on. Because I think people do need to hear, hey, have have empathy for the cops. Hey, say hi to a fucking cop. Like, people do forget that you guys aren't stormtroopers and you guys are actual fucking people with kids and families and hobbies and, you know, interests and, and, and other things that you want to do post-retirement. So I think that's a super fucking important conversation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, like I said, I just uh, hope the podcast, if anybody's listening and there's, there's what we say, five typically. Yeah, four or five. Four, people four, those four or five people, we really <laughs> reach them and, yeah. and just give you a good explanation of, of how difficult law enforcement can be from a job perspective. And then long-term approach, your, our mental health and our family's mental health, so to speak. There's a lot of ramifications. So it's not as easy as just uh, casting stones, step in our shoes and think about what we do and, and then make that decision when you see that use of force. So... All right, everybody, you can uh, not ever find Mike anywhere because you can't contact him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not like a regular guest. He, he does maybe, not have, a, maybe in a couple years. <laughs> yeah. He does not have a social media handle you can follow. Nope. He's not having an email nor a phone number. So <laughs> if you have any questions, or, or, call or, Brandon. Yeah. Or, or, or don't call me. Call, call Chris Thompson at 40 Volt Media on all social media platforms. He'll be able to answer all of your questions. So he'll do that. But again, guys, we want your feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. You know, we've had a couple of really solid episodes come out lately. Uh, you can find the podcast at um, Libsyn, Apple, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Google, Spotify, anywhere where you can download a, a podcast. You can find us at at Make the Difference Podcast on all social media platforms. Again, give us your feedback. Tell us what you want to hear. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to everybody soon.